exact reason why Evgeny Kuznetsov was taken where he was. I mean, you look at where he's at right now, um, and he was taken 26th overall in 2010. I mean, that was the same draft that Austin Watson was taken 18th overall. And, of course, there was, you know, the whole thing is like, is he going to come over? Is he going to come over? And it took him a while to get over there, but obviously the payoff has been worth it for the Capitals. And I'm a little biased as well just because I – uh, you know, weathered the storm during, you know, the Ovi's prime years as, you know, when he's scoring 50 goals a season. And, you know, that was never good enough for the national media. It was never good enough for the Canadian media because he was scoring all these goals, but he wasn't winning championships. And he was scoring all these goals, but, oh, he doesn't play as well as defense. And, oh, all these coaches are coming through. So, obviously, that's on him. That's his problem. He is the one not listening to his coaches and forcing them out, which is absolute garbage. It's not true at all. This is a guy that was laying down and blocking shots for Dale Hunter in the middle of one of his worst scoring seasons in his in his career. Um, so, yeah, I can see that now. And now it's kind of ridiculous where he's, you know, 10, 11 seasons into his career, and now people are starting to come around and say, okay, yeah, this is the best goal, ten, goal, goal scorer of our generation, and this is a guy that needs to be celebrated. Um, and it just goes back to, I think, that there's the Russian factor and there's the personality factor. I mean, it wasn't a very long ago where P.K. Subban was getting uh, crucified because he showed personality, and the hockey players aren't allowed to show personality because that's just wrong. Looking back at that uh, 2010 draft, I just happened to have this page open. And that, we're going to look back at the 2010 draft as pretty darn special because you had Taylor Hall, Tyler Sagan, Erica Branson, Ryan Johansson, Nito Niederreier. That's your top five. Outside of your top five, Jeff Skinner, uh, Burmistrov, Mikhail Gronlund, la, 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 Jaden Schwartz, Derek Forbert, Tarasenko's taken 16th. Two picks later is Austin Watson. Pick after that, Nick Bukestad. Quentin Howden was picking was picked before Evgeny Kuznetsov. Right, and he's doing okay with the Panthers, but that's Quentin Howden. Sorry, I was, I'm still getting over the drafting of Austin Watson and the list of names that came after him. Welcome into a show that feels like it's uh, probably gained by, what, like two or three pounds in the last six hours. Is that about right, Link? Yeah, I'm already trying to find ways to work it off. There you go. This is the Predcast presented by OnTheForeCheck.com, brought to you by Lion's Own Internet Marketing Solutions. He's Chris Link. He's John Garcia. I'm Dan Bradley. So Chris and I, I'm sorry about this, John. It's okay. Chris and I were uh, judges at the uh, Nashville Chili Fest earlier today, and uh, it's one of our favorite days of the year because we're able to, number one, it's just, it's fun, it goes to a good cause, we get some free beer out of it, and we got to see Chris Martell today, that's always cool. Yeah, I got to sit next to Chris and watch people recognize him, which is always fun. Yeah. People walk up and like, are you Chris Martell? He's like, I am. Because no one knows what you look like, do, that's do you, the luxury you, you have. Well, I, I said I should have worn like a, a yellow uh you know, Power Rangers helmet, and people would have. Or you should have known. showed up as the cartoon self. No, that's what I, you should get a shirt with your av- cartoon avatar on it. Just <laughs> the like one I square. haven't used in almost a year. Yeah, yeah. That was, that's a good look. Um, uh, so we saw Soledad, we saw Patrick, a couple of our listeners were there as well. 
but uh, we were talking about it before we went on air that the theme this year was not chili. Actually, that's you know I didn't think about it that way, but you've got a really good point. I thought there were a lot of very thin chilies this year. I thought a lot of the chilies were way way too sweet. Uh, and that kind of threw me for a loop. Though we did have there were two. Uh, there was a vegan and a vegetarian chili this year. One of which was a, was really good. The other one, which was not good, but it's I like I like when the vegan teams come out because they really challenge because because they, they can't approach chili in the same way. So the flavoring is very different and and uh, they really have to well, do some a, cool things. A couple of years ago, I know uh, one of my favorite vegetarian chilies was actually made by PETA. Of all people, like the people that I that I think are all right, you guys are a little bit far out there. But never, but nevertheless, they brought in a really good chili. But um, PETA enters chili competitions. Yeah. And they're they're really smug about it too. It's pretty funny. The guy was walking around like, <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny. Uh, I actually had on my uh, spreadsheet I made. I was judging on thickness, spiciness, and just out of a scale of one to five, is it chili? Do you want to continue <laughs> eating it and taste? And yeah, there was the is it chili was either a one or a five. You didn't get anything in between. It was yeah, I, one or five. There was some there were some crazy things. Um, I mean, my favorite was not super popular amongst anyone else um it was my i adored it uh, and then there was the thing that threw me is i was really excited because they were the, the chili fest twitter account was really pushing a seafood chili this year mm-hmm. and i'm like oh, okay this could be really cool and then they brought it out and literally it was like half a piece of fried fish in a cup and there was like maybe some chili poured on top of it with like a tiny itty bitty shrimp in it and i'm like there's no chili in here it's just fried fish with like tomato sauce poured on it boo yeah. If you're gonna do that, you gotta put some shrimp or some crab was, or I like had one little tiny shrimp something. and a giant, huge piece of fried fish. It was the most confusing thing I'd ever I seen. I had it as a seven point eight. You had it as a three. Oh, Martel had it as a five. Didn't taste good. It, it, I mean, the fish was not crispy enough. Was no, not, it, it needed to be crispier. No, it wasn't. It, it literally felt like food service fish. Yeah, I mean, it, it tasted okay, but it was, and there was not enough chili in there for me to really taste it. I mean, maybe it's the weird coastal nature of it but if someone's going to give me a fish like or a piece of fried fish or whatever kind of fish it is i at least want to know what uh, kind of fish and, it and, is and, and, oh it was just like it was either whiting or cod <laughs> i think it was no, whiting no. um but it, you know it, not to mention it, aftertaste was one of the things we we're supposed to judge on yeah. was aftertaste and it had the aftertaste of fish like it just tasted fishy i had to like swish water around my mouth and everything to move on to the next one the first one we had though was like it was so thin there were a lot of thin ones this year. Yeah, and the I'm, last one, the last one was a chowder. I mean, that I didn't which bother. Me t- off. I, didn't, I didn't even bother. Oh no, no, no! The last one, super tasty, but just it was a chowder. So I don't even. Well, I number even fifteen, that like didn't even show up until late. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. I just looked at them like this isn't chili. The disappointing thing, of course, <laughs> was that the three-time champions were not here for this year's competition. Yeah, either that or they get, went by a different name. Um, no, I didn't see them there. I didn't see, no, I, I remember I, her. I, she has this Kansas necklace. And they that's stand what, out. That's they what I remember. really stand out, and they were not there. Yeah, that was that was a bit disappointing. But other than that, it was always a really fun day. Uh, Yazoo does a great job hosting the event, and uh, we ended up meeting some new people, which uh, John, uh, don't say what this is, but I met somebody that you probably should have been there to meet. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. More on that later. Yeah. Probably month of March or so, we may, may kick that around. That sounds good. Okay, but other than that, how was your weekend? Oh man, that was, most was my weekend. I was at just I had friends a friend's birthday party yesterday. I had the chili thing today. Spurs, Spurs this morning. That's true. Yeah, I I got to I got to uh, you know tr- uh, trash talk a an Arsenal fan out of the chili contest room. 
Oh yeah, you you probably couldn't hear. Chris was sitting next to me. Martel was sitting next to me, and the guy was like pointing at my because I was wearing a, a Tottenham track track top, and the guy's like, like, "What was the score?" And I told him, and he was all like, "It." Then he said he revealed himself as an Arsenal fan, and so we were arguing. And I was like, "Oh, we're heading in the standings." He's like, "Yeah, but just by goal differential." At which point, the goal differential is caused by an English striker, the best English striker in who knows how many years. And so I'm like, well, and so I started teasing about that. And then I even launched into England saying, well, he's going to help England not look like crap. And so at that point, he, he was English. He had an English accent, everything, whole nine yards. <laughs> so at this point, I'm, I'm officially saying Spurs is going to make England not crap. And he cannot argue against that because <laughs> all of a sudden he'd be arguing against England. And I was like, victory. I was, nice. And then he just he, he walked out and he had nothing left to say. And he just wouldn't, he wouldn't make eye contact with me the rest of the time. He walked by three more times cold oh yeah we not only did spurs beat man city but i beat that guy with that's words the, that's the moral victory you're done for the weekend yeah you can just retire after this you know. john mm. uh productive weekend uh not a whole lot going on on friday but did uh one of those saturdays where you're just running errands all day and got to uh revamp my my wardrobe which is about time i hadn't bought new clothes in a while i'm actually wearing these very nice new jeans right now they're they're already those moccasins uh yeah, these are these are a Christmas present from uh from my mom actually. Nice. These are the most comfortable things in the world, and I was going to put on my terrible awful shoes with all the holes in them, but it's wet outside and they get you know my socks get wet from them. I hate a wet sock. Yeah, so I just wore the moccasins instead. It's been a great decision. Have, which, have, have you made the jump to wool socks yet? I ha- actually well in Michigan. I used to wear them all the time because I would put on like my regular socks that would go up to you know halfway up the shin, and then I would put on the wool socks no, no, ab- over those. I don't even mean heavy wool socks. Like if you go, there's um like darn tough. I use uh, is a, I, like I buy a, Wolverine socks. Oh, see, those are hardcore. Yeah, so those are, like super super thick. You can Not go to Columbia. Yeah. Gar- like you can get like darn tough, which are um they're lighter wool socks mm-hmm. and but they're still wool. And they're fantastic. Oh yeah, because you can and because they're not super super bulky, so you can wear them spring summer, and be really comfortable and have a better quality sock and not have to worry. I'll let you try these on once uh, once we're done recording. These are so comfortable. <laughs> During the intermission, we will try in each other's shoes. I went to this is uh, the breadcast <laughs> uh, on a whim yesterday. I went to Memphis, and uh, just because I haven't been to Memphis sense. in a long time, and you know, I was like, you know, at the Chili Festival, spring will be fun. You know, we just went on a barbecue run, so. We went to uh, the old, the original Central Barbecue on Central Avenue in Memphis. Uh, we went around a couple of different places, just kind of walked around. We ended the night at Huey's downtown. And Huey's, if those who aren't familiar with Memphis, it's like one of the iconic Memphis institutions. There's like uh, like ten of them around town. They had just known for having really good burgers. They have a awesome bar with like an old style like prescriptions, you know, a stained glass above it. But the symbolic victory for me was I got them to put the hockey game on. And Memphis is a basketball town. So they put the hockey game on instead of the NA, the uh, NBA uh, skills competition. So that was a win for me. Nice. Um, even had people watching it, too. So that was cool. Um, that was really about it. And I just kind of went to Memphis and just, you know, ate and drove around. And, is that oh, a two-hour drive? Uh, about three-hour drive. Three-hour drive. I did go, and we're talking about clothing. A lot of my clothing is, this may come as a surprise to, to no one, but I get a lot of it from Bass Pro. And um, <laughs> I went to the... The Bass Pro and the Pyramid. And like in the Memphis Pyramid? Yes. They have a Bass Pro in there? Yeah, the Bass Pro took over the Pyramid because the Pyramid is no longer a sports arena thanks to building FedEx Forum. So, yeah. 
And it is every bit as uh, gaudy, trashy, tacky, and hard to shop in as you would ever believe. Do they have a fish tank, like a full-size fish tank in there? Yes, they have multiple fish tanks. They also have elevators and a observatory up top so you could see the skyline of Memphis, which it, it's getting better. Um, there's a hotel inside of it. <laughs> Memphis, Memphis is getting better. It's getting better. <laughs> yeah, actually it is. I'm, I'm for one like Memphis. They do have some really good beers there now, too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, High Cotton, if you can find it. I really like Wiseacre a whole lot. Um, Wiseacre is really good, actually. And Ghost River is really good. I just like the name of that. And there's the, actually, the last Wiseacre I had was uh, a uh, chocolate coffee stout, I believe. It's, you got to yep. get up to get down. It is like a, it's like a meal. It's a so good. That was really good. Um, they also said Yazoo's there. I was, I was kind of excited to see that. So, yeah, not a bad weekend. Um, got a chance to watch the uh, Panthers uh, Predators game on mute, so that was a victory. But for that game, you didn't really need sound. Mm-hmm. Didn't really. It need was sound. a one way street. You can make your own play by play for that one. Pretty much it would have been better, anyways. Going back to uh, Tuesday night, let's pick up the week from there. Uh, Predators play the Capitals, and about kind of what we expected, really, because the Capitals are almost, better, not well better, but almost like in a historic sense. Like this may be one of the best Washington Capitals teams. This is one of the best teams in the NHL right now. And maybe one of the best Capitals teams that we've seen yeah. ever. So I'm not terribly distraught about it. Um, the only thing I was a bit disappointed about was that the they deserved better in the first period than being down one nothing. Uh, the second period, they could not get in the offensive zone. They kind of ran out of time in the third period. Yeah, I thought this was a frustrating game um, in another sense. I mean, we talked about it on the last episode or the one before that where we said if they lose this game, it's not going to be the end of the world just because of how good this Capitals team is. And you were talking about how historic this is. They are the first team to win 40 uh, games in their first 53 games in NHL history. That's over 100 years. And this is statistically the best uh Capitals team ever like even better than the 2009-2010 one that went on you know 14 game 15 game winning streak and you know broke all kinds of goal scoring records Um, but yeah you mentioned it that first period the Capitals historically and over the past couple weeks have not been a very great first period team and they just get better as the team as the game goes on so you hope that if the Predators could get something going and pot a couple on Braden Holby early that they would be um, set as far as the game goes, and they started so strong. I mean, that was one of the worst periods I've seen the Capitals play and one of the best periods I think I've seen Nashville play except for, you know, one bad turnover, and then the Capitals have three shots and one goal. Predators have like 10, 12 shots and no goals. And, I mean, I think that's one of the, something that we've seen a lot from them, and that's why it was so frustrating is because they started so well and looked like they, hey, they might be up there hanging with the best team in the National Hockey League and then they ended the intermission down a goal. You know, despite that, I do think through the course of the game, it was pleasantly even between the two between yeah. the two teams. Uh, I think a few bounces either way, and it could have been a Preds win 5-3 very quickly, uh, which I find to be really encouraging looking at the Predators, looking at all their issues. I mean, going back and, and looking at the stats of the game, looking at where shots and goals were coming from, what scared me is the ongoing trend of the fact that the Predators, and this was so, so just, you know, highlighted by the game against the Capitals, four of the, I think the four even strength goals came like literally at the top of the crease. Mm-hmm. Do the Predators not get that they've been, they've been giving up a ton of goals in that high danger area all season and maybe they need to do something about it? Yeah. Just maybe? Just maybe something on there. I mean, when uh, Weber got out muscled by Chimera, uh, Weber had a very rough, um, rough shift on that one. 
cause a turnover, and then let Chimera get behind him, which Jason Chimera is one of the fastest skaters in the league. Yeah. So the, we talked about earlier this season, his positioning is not where you would expect him to be as a guy who's going to eventually start slowing down if he mm-hmm. hasn't started slowing down to begin with. He's still a pretty quick yeah. skater. So he, he's, he's shown at times, but his positioning needs to be better. Yeah, you look at analyses of Weber, and people people usually try and demonstrate either that he's not as good as he is or he's as good as he is. And I think the one thing that everyone ends up agreeing on is that Weber is strong in two areas. One's the obvious, just bombing go- shots on goal from, from the point. The other strong area is along the along his own blue line and defending that. Mm-hmm. He's really good at breaking up play on that line. Issue is is that if he doesn't if he if he has to be back and play positionally, or he doesn't isn't able to to stop or turn the puck over, or slow him down at the blue line, all of a sudden he's either chasing or he's usually not in the best position. And that worries me. And that's why I think, Dan, to your point, you're saying he's you know, he has issues with positioning, he had a rough night. It's because he he has like this um, blue line to blue line neutral zone strong area, but in the actual zones he's not he's not as good. He's good when he's on at the blue lines. He's less good when he gets kind of deeper in either direction. Mm-hmm. There's some truth to that. I mean, he's as far as like shooting goes, he's he's tough to beat as far as shooting goes. I mean, he's he's taking a little bit less off his uh, taking a little bit off of his slap shot like we've asked him to do for years now, and. Right now, he's got 15 goals already. I mean, it's only game 56. That's good yeah, for him. I, yeah, and that, that's the that's always the thing that drives me nuts about evaluating defensemen. A lot of times is that if you critique their defensive play, inevitably whoever you're talking to, talking to, talking with is going to say, "Well, he's got 15 goals. He exactly." Can't be. I'm like, yeah, he has 15 goals, but he also falls over his own skates and is eating ice when someone else is scoring a goal. It's a problem. But if you compare, I'm exaggerating. If you compare, well. To, to your credit, though, if you compare what he does on the ice against the best players in the league, I he stacks up better than just about everybody. Yeah, and I think that I think there's truth. Yeah, especially, I mean that that's that's the crux of being a good defenseman. Yeah, well, though, that's right? but that's that's the blue line play that I'm talking about because a lot of those guys they want to get in on the rush because where are the best scoring chances you either get rebounds or you're coming in on the rush, and Weber's really good about breaking up those rush plays. If it's when he when he misplays it or is not able to be break not able to be not able not let me try that again not breaking it up along the blue line is where I think he starts getting into trouble. Which is where I think you might see that discrepancy when you look at some of his possession stats and stuff like that. Because I mean, there to my knowledge, uh, there's not really uh, a good measurement for you know neutral zone play breaking up stuff at the blue line, and then when they get in, yeah, you know they have a little bit tough of a time getting those plays out and clearing the zone. Um, and, you know, historically they've let the shots go so that Rene can swallow it up and they can start over the play again. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. changed, I believe, with Laviolette, though, where they're they're trying to go out and suppress the shot, which which the you're giving up fewer shots as a whole, but you're giving up more more higher chance opportunities. Well, but the Predators, we, we looked before, they, they lead the league in... I say lead the league in in the fewest, fewest high yeah. danger chance high danger chances and, given up. Per and they're game. I believe they're second. They might be first or second because I looked at this the other day too. Uh, they're first or second in just regular scoring chances too. Yeah, I mean they're one of the reasons why their percentage of scoring chances and high danger scoring chances is so high is because they're about average as far as generating scoring chances, but they're elite when they are uh, suppressing those, regardless of whether it's high danger, scoring chances, just regular, yeah. they are very good at not allowing many of those. And I, I think that tells us that we need to temper our criticism a little bit of the defense at times because 
they can only suppress so many shots and so and prevent so many high danger things when you're like what what do you want them to do they they already are best in the league at something how are they supposed to limit shots more than best in the league they they be yeah. better than best and then what are they then then if you're still having issues you have to start looking at what the actual problem might be mm. foreshadowing oh yeah yeah second half of the show <laughs> so. good call i don't want to get ahead of myself <laughs> uh the overtime loss against tampa bay i mean once again tampa bay very good team going into their building where they've been very good getting a point out of it not overly upset about um that they were resilient enough to get the lead late uh, got a bit unlucky with that penalty call though yeah, and we, we can get into <laughs> that. Unlucky. Yeah, yeah, we can get into yeah. that in a second. But I uh, use the word resilient, which I think is an excellent way to describe that. Because yes, the uh, overtime loss is frustrating because it's yet another overtime loss, and I, that's again something else we can get into a little bit later. But when, like, how many times have we seen the Predators get out to a good start, which they did again with Tampa, which was the second game, third game in a row where they've done that? Uh, they're up one to nothing, and then within two minutes span of the second period, they are trailing two to one. And then what happens within the three minute span, they're ahead three to two. That's not something that we've seen a lot in recent memory. And it looked, it looked like they were going to pull it out and it just wasn't meant to be. And, but I think that there's something to take from that because, you know, you're looking at that and you're, here we go again. This is just going to be a two, one, three, one loss. And then James Neal scores a beautiful goal. Philip Forsberg scores an even prettier goal and they're cruising for the rest of the period right until the end of that mm-hmm. really tacky call. Yeah, I, watching that because you know I, you know I saw it and then I saw the replays and I'm like I don't I still don't know what happened because one of two things either happened with Stamkos he either uh, when when I can't remember who the penalty was against it's so the, it was Harvidson? against Arvidsson so, but. It was uh, Wilson who, like, he tried to stick lift, and the stick went up in the air, and Arvidsson got called for it. Is that what I remember correctly? Yeah, because I knew there was confusion about who actually committed versus who in the box. But the point, is, the the actual where I'm going to is, you know, they called it a slap. They called for slashing. Yep. And you watch the watch the video, and there's the stick lift, and then there's Stamco skating, and then Stamco's just throws his stick down and waves. He puts his hands up in the air. So I don't know if. The stick was damaged very, very slightly. Where a hockey player who uses high end sticks is like, "Oh, the, I can feel looseness, and like I know there's a crack or something. I need to drop this." And he did, or he's like, "Oh, someone just slashed my stick, and we're losing." Whoops! You, ca- I cannot tell from the video, right? Which of the two that is. Mm-hmm. Regardless, they got a point. I'm not overly upset about it. Tampa Bay, not a bad team. Yeah, and that's, and that's the other thing. Like I couldn't fault the team. Uh, on on the penalty kill because it's four on six, and they're just going to keep giving me to Stamkos and letting him bomb away. Yeah. yeah, and you can't cover him because there's two extra players. You're just doing your absolute best, just ho- hoping and praying that the clock runs down before you exactly. get shot on the power play. Look who they have on three on three. I mean, Tampa Bay is a scary oh, ass that's team three on the three, three on three. Yeah. Oof. Three and three pissed me off a little bit. I'm going to jump into this. I mean, just to kind of illustrate you knowing that you're not alone as far as the three on three questions need to be asked about this one of our commenters i'm going to pull up his exact um his exact inquiry on this because this is perfect mm-hmm. this is going to tie into two main themes of of our show today um i want to oh, just a minute i want to jot it down perfectly mm-hmm. he deserves the credit for it I gotta say. well we do want to we do want to give credit where credit is yeah, due we we don't want to you know steal people's work that's bad. No. This is just general life advice. If you're in school... Even or... in the comment section, <laughs> where it'd be very easy to lift people's work. 
Um, I feel like we're insinuating something, but we're not. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, man, do you guys know something? I'm <laughs> yeah, not no, a we really one. don't. We're do- it just, I just realized it's not going in. Uh, it's not sounding right. Commenter uh, Troop EK or Troopback. I don't know how he wants to pronounce it, but three-on-three coaching question. After Weber stated several weeks ago they haven't practiced three-on-three since training camp, how come no one has followed up with the coaching staff on this? I get that people that cover the team don't want to upset anybody, but this is a legitimate question that's already out there since the captain himself made it public. Yeah. Do you remember when it was that Weber said that they don't practice three on three? It was before the All Star break. It I was a. Oh, I think it might have been. It, was, the, it might have been twenty fifteen. You know what? Uh, honestly, I think it might have been the Detroit game. Does that sound kind of that like? That's about right. Oh, let's go. So since yeah. the Detroit game, they've had uh, an overtime loss against Calgary. Uh, that was just a couple of weeks later. They had an overtime win against Carolina. That is their only overtime win so far this season. Uh, overtime loss against Winnipeg, and then overtime loss against Tampa Bay. The thing that kills me about the way the Predators have played in in overtime is that they just seem to mess... Like, they're they're trying to, to like, get in places and set up plays and go from behind the net and do all this kind of, like, puck work. And then the teams that beat them just sort of get the puck and skate down the ice. Like they, they look for the, pre- they wait because the Predators are using up a lot of energy. They're skating around. They're making, they're moving around. Tampa just sort of say, just keep formation. And then the Predators, they're like, oh, the guys are getting tired. So they, they get a couple guys trying to go for a change. They get the puck deep. Well, guess what? It's only, there's not, there's tons of room in the ice. So the second the Predators look like they're going for a change, the other team is just like fired up the ice, skate as hard as you can, drive the net and they finish it. So this this really direct play, I think direct play is really favored in overtime in the three and three format, mm-hmm. and the Predators just don't seem to be interested in that sort of direct they play also, on on. They three. also uh, and this might be a little bit of a recency bias. I'd have to go back and look at the game footage too, but it seems to me they're also very hesitant to make shots and make plays, which I understand in three on three because if you miss the net or something happens, you're starting a breakout the other way. <laughs> That's but, what uh, Tarasenko said when I asked him about. It. I was like, "You make it's not like international game. You make one mistake, and the game is over." Yeah, but I mean, also at the same time, I and mean, you can't just s- sit in the zone and not do anything. Well, yeah, it's. I mean, what was it against Winnipeg a couple weeks ago where they just all it looked like a penalty kill? Yeah, it was embarrassing. Yeah. Just like everyone just standing around watching for it, and then just Wheeler just rifles it into the corner. Yeah, it's the direct play. The three and three. The team that's going to be favored is the one that plays the most directly, and the Predators do not play directly on. In overtime, and that hurts them. It's like yeah. they're playing to not to lose rather than playing to win. Bingo. But they channeled their anger very uh, positively and beat the crap out of the Florida Panthers. A Panthers team that's, despite of the recent results, haven't been great, but that's a really good team down there in South Florida. And yeah. Nashville, th- I mean, given that Barkov's out right now, they are a bit injured, but 5 nothing. Well, it's a team. I think uh, Luongo was in net, right? He, yeah. yeah. Luongo is in net, and he's been consistently one of the best goaltenders in the league this season. Yeah, but he got pulled on uh, the on Friday against St. Louis, which is why he was in net, because he started that game, got pulled, because they lost 5-3, to three, and then he started again. Yeah, so. And just another, you know, not, not something that we see all too often this year. They count on Sasha Barkov to really be that... Um Kind of like David Backus, Jonathan Taves, Miko Koivu, like top end. What we what we what we all declare as a top line center nowadays is the guy who can play on both sides of the ice. Barkov is that guy, and we had a chance to talk with um, Harvey Fialkov, and he just loves that kid. Like he's going to be a Hall of Famer someday. You just watch it. Yeah, that's a hell of a statement. Jonathan Drouin, he's a schmuck. <laughs> <laughs> that was so. That was one of our favorite, one of our highlights. Um, is the Panthers beat writers, but uh, yeah, they really missed that guy, and they really could have used him against Nashville. Yeah, and let, uh, you know, talent. also let 
let's do give some credit to the uh, to the Predators too, though, because they followed up a very sour game to which they, for the most part, played a very excellent game against Tampa Bay, uh, and they just put the whooping on Florida, which was after that first period that they had, where they were for the most part had so many great chances. They let a couple chances go their way, but Carter Hutton was there to stop the door, which is you know more foreshadowing. Yeah, a one to breakaway against Yager. Yeah. And then you think, okay, well, this is a second of a back-to-back. You know, they might be tired. Let's hope that they don't take their foot off the gas. And what do they do? They put their foot on the gas. Moment of the game. Uh, they're up either 4 nothing or 5 nothing at this point. And Mike Fisher is still forechecking so hard, he jars the puck loose from Luongo. That was awesome. It's amazing. That was the moment where I'm like, okay, this this team is still pissed off on Friday night. And also, you mentioned it. So, how about Mike Fisher the past couple of games? He's been playing pretty well. Yeah, he's well. He's uh, look who he's got beside him. He's got Colin Wilson beside him, and Wilson and Fisher work well together. Uh, Wilson, Mike Fisher is he's one of those guys. I think almost everybody on the team has some kind of chemistry with. I mean, James Neal played okay beside him. Austin Watson plays very good beside him on the penalty kill. Craig Smith, well, Craig Smith's not having a great year. But he plays pretty well beside Mike Fisher. But that that right there uh, with Wilson coming back is giving the team three solid lines to roll around. And when they're all rolling like they were against Florida, that's a pretty big statement. Um, thought they did. Going back to Carter Hutton, they they protected Carter Hutton very well. They may have given up one or two more shots than they normally do, but they were easy shots. And that's what you want your backup goaltender to not have to deal with the second shot. But Hutton still saved the bacon a couple times, especially in the second period. He looked great. It, the, the way that the uh, the Panthers were attacking really allowed Hutton to leverage his athleticism, which I mean is what we saw because he makes those sort of highlight real type saves and and there's kind of there's that joke over the season where the only saves that Carter Hutton makes are highlight real saves. So mm-hmm. That's because he's not he's, he's roughly where he needs to be in the ice, but it's not always right. So he has to make those second saves. His rebound controls and grace. So he has to make those second saves. And he's got the the agility to do it. And you know he was putting that on display. You know you mentioned the Yager. Uh, st- the, the Yager stop. I mean, that's just that's that's athleticism, and that was also uh, that Yager stop because that was the w- one in the first period, right? That you were talking about because yeah. Jonathan Huberdeau had two prime scoring chances right even before that happened, and he stopped both of them. And a rebound trickled out while there was a scrum going for the net, and that's when Yager came right down the slot and shot. And Hutton was able to stop that one too. So that that was an incredible sequence. And at that point, you're like, okay, he's locked in. If they can get a couple, then we should be fine. Yeah, that, that was kind of the mentality I think the team kind of was booed off of as well. Uh, Yarncroke, we've got to talk about him real quick. Uh, two goals for him, uh, started the scoring and got another shorthanded goal, which, again, flashing back to last night, I'm in Memphis. And even like the guy next to me getting his takeout, oh, man, that's a shorthanded goal. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> Yarncroke uh, looks like a completely different player from last year. Yeah, we've talked about the question mark of who's going to play on that left side with Joey and uh, – and Neil, uh, we may have our answer, to be quite honest with you. I mean, we there's been so many question marks about Yarncroke's play. Um, you know, is he a center? Is he, you know, a top-line winger? Is, you know, all these other things. But, you know, putting him in that garden seat next to those two players, he has not disappointed. And, yes, he could very much be the Chris Kunitz type of player where he is, you know, benefiting from two talented players. But, but that's fine. It, exactly. If he's putting up the points and he's helping his team, yeah. no one's going to question it. And, and, you know, the thing I love even one step beyond that is you know, he's being he's more productive, but also when the team is on the penalty kill is down six to, you know, six, four in, you know, that has a two man advantage against them. And you'll see Yarncroft out there killing penalties. So he's skating top line minutes. He's killing penalties. He's, 
doing a lot of things right and just gaining trust and maybe becoming the player people hoped when they he was acquired. How much credit this goes to Peter Laviolette? Because last year, even though he had, um, he had who was it? Was it Ole Jokinen, Derek Roy, and he decided to keep playing Yarncroke at center because he knew that he needed the playing time, that he knew that it was only going to get better the more and more he played. To where this year, the trust is at, at such an apex where he can ro- he rolls out Yarncroke against, at one point he was going against Bergeron, Taves. He was going to I mean, this is before the Johansson trade, of course. But Yarncroke is becoming, the, I think, like the teacher's pet, like his favorite, like one of his favorite pupils. Well, he's also, Yarncroke has the advantage of having some great, uh, you know, two-way forwards and defensive forwards who are sort of at the, the, you know, declining in their careers, and he can learn a lot from guys like Fisher. He can learn a lot from guys like, like Paul Gostad, who have played a kind of a two-way role for a long, long time. And he can just learn from them, learn from experience, have the, have the coach trust him, and just be in a really comfortable environment. I like nothing like the like the Swedish mafia that we've got going on in Nashville. I think also helps as well. Yeah, and even going back to last year, both David Poyle and Peter Laviolette were gushing about Yarncroak, saying how smart he is, and you know he could be that type of player. And it looks like Laviolette had the trust in him all along, but just didn't have the players. To, and I know that sounds cheesy, but like he he didn't have the the personnel to really leverage what he could bring out of that player no i mean this is this is the same player who is a bit undersized but look at who he's pushed out of a job he pushed out cody hodgson pushed out Ole jokinen pushed out Derek roy i mean these are established nhl players that he has essentially taken the spot from them and now he's moved up to the top line and it looks i mean that overlap play with neil was just slick uh, I, I'm, I'm. He's one of my. It's kind of unfair for me because I, he's one of my favorites. But yeah, that kid's really yeah, something. It, it goes a long way to say you've got a player who will one do the play the role you ask him to play. So you put him in the third line. He's going to play a third line style. You put him on the top line. He's going to play a very different game, but he can still bring things on both sides of the puck, which is which is really awesome to have. Uh, just as a quick recap, we, uh, you and I both called it 1-1-1. One, one, and one. We're kind of seeing a bit of a pattern where, and this is kind of unfortunate, the team is putting together one great performance a week, and then everything else is a crapshoot. Is that about right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd say yeah. that. Yep. I was so close to being right, though, because I called 2-1, and one, and I was 26 seconds away right, from You know what, correct. John? You weren't right. No. Dan and I were right. We, uh, yeah. we were, we were almost sure in a consensus. Yeah. Uh, Colin Wilson back in the lineup. If nothing else, he's given the team at least three balanced lines. Colin Wilson's been fine. He's been fine. He, yeah, he's. I mean, that's that role is not going to put he's up a lot of points. Okay, that's on his business card. Colin Wilson, he is fine. <laughs> yeah, but it means something different to him than it does to us. <laughs> yeah, I was going to go there. Um, also, something not hockey related. Carrie Underwood is like one of the best hockey wives oh. ever. <laughs> Ryan <laughs> Johansson. Her uh, shade game is strong. I love it. Oh, who was retweeting all the Ryan Johansson things? That was that was because I didn't I didn't I wasn't looking at the box. Those were amazing. What's actually funny though is before you even retweeted that, I saw like I've got like the Twitter notifications on, and suddenly you know X amount of people just retweeted Carrie Underwood. It's like okay, what is this? So generally, I don't check those, but I checked it and I saw. It. I like, oh my god, it was the first one. What deal is is that Johansson actually started it last night? Because he he kissed Mike Fisher. Yeah. Apparently, this is Johansson's deal. He likes to kiss things. 
because he did that in Columbus, like during like some interview, he kissed the back of the neck of some guy. Nothing wrong with the man no, being affected. I, I think it's hilarious, yeah. and I, I'm I'm enjoying like watching, because so frankly, this is good for the club because Carrie because Carrie Underwood is Carrie Underwood. She's mm-hmm. the queen of all kinds of stuff, and uh, getting kind of that exposure to where I mean, she's not just interacting with Mike Fisher publicly. It's it's Ryan Johansson, so that's fun. Yeah, I'm just uh, like. I, Ryan Johansson having that like inclination reminds me a lot of how weird Claude Giroux can be. Like people didn't realize how weird Claude Giroux was until I think like last year, the year before when he started like grabbing policemen's Let's all play yeah. a bunch of grab ass. And then and then he just kept doing it and like just kept being weird. And he's like just wandering into photos naked and people are just like, Oh yeah, it's Claude Giroux. He wanders into photos <laughs> Actually, naked. I was going through my photos today and I was like, Well, blah blah blah. That's Claude Giroux only wearing a towel and drinking a beer. Okay. Again. Okay. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Maybe he got some powers from that golf accident. He's like, after, you know, the, the stick shatters, and then all of a sudden, he's just this weirdo. <laughs> he just got weird, and that's fine, I like guess. A, like an office space kind of weird, or? I don't know. It's just Claude Giroux weird. Claude Giroux weird. Okay. Uh, you guys want to go and do questions before we get the uh, Twitter questions, or do you want to do the comment section questions before the break? We did comments first last time, right? I don't remember. We didn't do we, comments last week. Cause, well, cause last time you some, asked. So some guy decided, you know what, I'm just going to sabotage it so no one even bothered answering, asking questions before after we recorded the show. Yeah, the thanks way. a lot, whoever you were. Yeah, you know who you are. So uh, I don't. <laughs> you don't have to know. Okay. Um, so we, we have more Twitter, so do you want to do... Let's do comment section if we have more Twitter so that way we can be set and we're not up against the clock. Sounds excellent. Uh, we already got Trupex out of the way. That was a good one. Uh, let's see. Boogie 22 writes in, given that the All-Star Game in Nashville was a huge success, do you think that helps its chances of being selected as a host of an outdoor game in the near future? No, um, because the only team in the West that gets gets outdoor games are, are giant market teams, the Blackhawks. Yeah, I, I, I had this conversation a couple of, a week or two ago where I think that Nashville's chances of hosting a stadium series game aren't good, but their chances of being in a stadium series game are great. That's why I was a little bit disappointed when uh, they said that the Blues were going to get the Winter Classic at Bush Stadium because that would like the Preds and the Blues yeah, but, at, at a stadium series game at Bush Stadium would have been fantastic. But, the, but if, if the Blues are going to have any outdoor game, it's going to be against the Blackhawks. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just default how it's going to be. The issue, the, the issue the Preds are facing is they don't have a historical or geographic rival. Really? No. St. Louis is the closest thing with that's the closest yeah. team to us now. I mean, that's it why, like, Atlanta, because that's why, like, the whole uh, California thing worked is because you've got three rivals all right there, so it's easy to match them up against each other. It's a lot harder to match the Predators up against somebody other than, like, I mean, like Winnipeg. Yeah. Because for some reason, Nashville and Winnipeg just hate each other. Dallas. Yeah, yeah I was going to say Dallas. Cool. Well, no, the Dallas would be great. I'd love, I'd love uh, Predators Dallas. The problem I think with Nashville now is you don't have a venue for it. I think that LP Field. The reason why you're seeing so many of these in baseball stadiums is because I believe you mean Nissan Stadium. It, well, you see a lot of these in baseball stadiums because it's forty-five to fifty thousand. That's about perfect for that type of uh, that type of event. Yeah, depending on the market too. I mean, you know, St. Louis perfect market for a baseball stadium. Yeah. Well, also the other stadium they have is a dome. Yeah. Um, with with Nissan Stadium, it's huge, so I don't think they would be a great television problem. I, mean, I don't think that's kind of what they're looking for. There'd be some worry as far as the Will Nashville be able to fill it. And that's not my worry. That's the national worry, though. Plus, it's Nashville. Uh, Vanderbilt Stadium would be perfect for it, but the problem is, is that Vanderbilt Stadium right now is a dump by SEC standards. Not dump. by NFL standards, by SEC standards. And there's some bad stadiums in college football. 
Uh, however, Vanderbilt is looking to possibly remedy that before too long. So that would be perfect for it because it's a very tight stadium. There's not a whole lot of sideline room, and it's uh, it's right across the street from Centennial. You know what Pete Weber said uh, on a radio spot a couple of years ago? Schmozzle. Uh, no, he didn't say schmozzle. Uh, Slapshot. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> He uh, so the host asked him basically this exact question, and he he brought out from left field. He's like, "Well, you know what would be a good venue is use the old Bristol Speedway to get an uh, get a stadium there. You put that in, and then put everyone around." And I was like, "That is a, a deep hole over a, there. That is a bad idea. Yeah, because it's, it's going to be bad for college. Have you seen the rigging that they're going to have to do for college football at Bristol? No, they're actually it looks like something from Phantom of the Opera when they're going to have Virginia Tech and Tennessee play." Uh, they're going to like rig some type of cable suspended screens over the field. I mean, it looks like that feels safe to me. Yeah, mm. like the play the Phantom of the Opera. It's going to like chandelier come down and yeah. Having walked beneath the screens at Dallas's the Cowboys Stadium, having walked beneath and then walked up at the level of the screens. I am now terrified to ever like I would never want to play a professional sport because it just terrifies me to look up and see that those giant screens hanging over my head and then walking up and seeing the cables are hanging on. It's like so this is how people die, I guess. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. No, it hasn't happened yet, but it's still terrifying. Those screens are big. Uh, They're super big. I and mean, then the second part of his question, which I'll go and tie that in, if Nashville were given the hosting duties for an outdoor game, who would you consider the opponent to be? I have long been an advocate of a home and home with either Raleigh or Dallas. I would uh, just, okay, let's assume the game was taking place within the next two to three seasons. I would pick Dallas because it's going to be a better game. Yeah. Uh, You could also, uh, this is going to piss a lot of people off, but you could also go old school and bring down the Red Wings because that would at least fill some seats and get uh, get some TV markets in there. Yeah, I mean, that it is Detroit. They are a draw. Uh, Carolina would not definitely not be a draw, but I think at that point you're just having a game because you know what? Who cares? It's you know it's Southern hockey. No, no, no. Or, or Tampa. Yeah, yeah. Ta- games against Tampa are always entertaining. Tampa is a very entertaining team. Period. Because mm-hmm. they've got they've got two gr- two or three great players, and everyone else is just pretty good. I mean, they're a lot of them are very young, and they're still kind of getting their feelings like uh, Nemesnikov and who's really going to be good. Palat's very good. But they, they have a lot of just very good pieces that aren't perfect all the time. So you can poke and prod and probe your way into a couple of goals, but that they're a great TV team. Um, the Blues, I think, would be an obvious choice, too, because it's St. Louis. But there's no way we're getting a game before them. Uh, let's see. B. Farish 05 writes in, Which Predators prospect to have not played an NHL game or named Kamenev? So we're excluding Vladislav Kamenev. Oh, boo. And we're excluding uh, anybody who is not anybody who's already played an NHL game, which would be Fiala, Sissons. I think that's about a Stefan Elliott, I suppose. Um, Cody Bass. Prospect man. <laughs> which, 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 which which of those prospects are you the most excited about? Mine would be um, not be Max Gortz. Really, I uh, I might say uh, Yakov Trenin. Just from seeing him, like I, I know it's really early to see that, and I do agree with Max, with Max Gortz, but just from seeing Trenton at training camp when he was 18 years old this past, I, like I'm so excited to watch him, and he's huge. He's a monster. I mean, when he was, um, it was him, um, 
Fiala and Jimmy Vesey. They were like part of like some youth, um, some youth hockey school that was going on there, and he just towered over Fiala. Well, not only that, <laughs> but I think that they lit up Soros for like three or four goals in that one rookie scrimmage. Yeah, man, there's actually it's a surprising number of choices. Um, I mean, there's a couple. There's plenty of cheating answers. I mean, I think I, I think Trent is a great answer. Um, che- great cheating answer. Uh, I don't know, VZ. VZ is a good um, answer. Yeah, I'd love to see him. At the, yeah, I'd really be excited to see him. And also, uh, a traditional Predators pick. I think I, I, I'm interested in seeing Doherty as he develops. That's a good one. Well, how do we feel about Ponus Oberg? How how do we feel about Ponus Oberg? <laughs> I mean, he was a guy that we were we we held some pretty high esteem, and I think that he's probably lost a little bit of momentum, especially after seeing guys like Leipzig come into the organization. Which congrats to him for getting his first NHL goal. I know it's kind of a sour subject but guys like Arvidsson that have passed him over which that's not too fair to him because Arvidsson's an older player but is anything ever going to come of this guy or is he going to be another one of those Swedish throwaway prospects in the lines of a Linus Klassen uh, kind of those undersized Swedish players that Patrick Salen yeah I mean I mean that's the feeling I'm getting right now uh you know he's probably I'm not sure how old he is right now but I think he's got like one more training camp to really make an impact before he's going to get angsty he's 22 yeah, so he, I think he's got one more training camp to make an impact, and then it's either going to be, do you want to play in the AHL, or do you want to return, go back to Europe? Because mm-hmm. I just, at 22, if you haven't, as a, as a goal-scoring forward, started to make some type of major impact, you're probably not going to gonna be developing as, you know, where the NHL, when an NHL team wants you to develop. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that. I think that will... Um get a look at him next training camp but I mean if you look at the depth chart for people that are in line to make the team next year he's going to have a really hard time trying to make a roster spot for him and he's going to have to uh, basically pull himself away from the pack very very much in order to do that and we saw some I mean I, I think that we all kind of Maybe not all of us, but myself specifically thought that Fiala may, may have made the team out of training camp this year, and he didn't. So obviously there are some surprises there. Um, but I, I I mean, I just don't think that o- Oberg is going to be one of those surprises. Mm. I mean, the, the wings are especially going to be especially crowded, unless they make some kind which of is, bizarre trade. Which but. is fine, because the, the, the Predators, I mean, they, the left wing with the Predators, I think, is their weakest position right now, um, as far as the prospect pipeline. Um, I say left wing. I mean, you've got Fiala and Vizi. Those guys are either going to be like, if, if they work out, then the Predators are going to be set in left wing for a long time. Yeah. If they don't work out, the Predators don't have a, still don't have a lot going on there. You've got guys like Yarncroke, who's doing a great job, but still filling in. Um, and the right wing, of course, is stacked. Mm-hmm. And then center, you've got, I mean, you've got Kamenev, Trenin, uh, Sissons, and then you've got some other kind of wild card guys like like mm-hmm. Novak, who's in the NCAA. Moy. Uh, Moy. Gaudreau, um was it Frederick Gaudreau? Yeah, Frederick, yeah. who's having a good season he's right now. A great season. Didn't well, he have another hat trick just yeah. a couple days ago? Yeah. It, it, well, we'll have to see if he's able to make this a repeating thing, or it's a flash in the pan, or if it translates. Well, yeah, but, or if it's just an AHL thing. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's some interesting, really interesting centers in the, in the Predators' uh, uh, pipeline right now. I was just uh, landed on the page of one Simon Moser. Just because no one ever talks. Oh about him. yeah, he's twenty six years old. How's he he's, doing? Ah, uh, he's got uh, fifteen and seventeen uh, for uh, SC Baron, and he's played forty six games. That's not bad. That's oh, oh that's excellent. Um, but I then again, Switzerland. Everyone plays super, like sick defense in Switzerland. Like it's they, it's, yeah. it's it's a very defensive system. Yeah, but no, he was. I mean, 
Let's see, Bozer was Bozer. Well, I mean, he did ba- basically what Bozer's. you said, and you know, either got to got to differentiate I'm, yourself or go to Europe. Yeah, well, I just I just think he was one of those guys who went over there. His game works really well in that in, in Europe. Doesn't work in the. It never worked. Um, he lit it up in preseason. That's what that's yeah. what he made the team. He had he only got six games in Nashville. Scored one, assisted on another. Thanks for coming. And then 48 games in Milwaukee with 26 you points. You say Moser? Yeah. Moses? Moser. Not Steve Moses. Simon Moser. Simon Moser. That yeah. was uh, two years ago, right? Yeah, 2013-14. Yeah, so that's yeah, Two it. years ago. Man, I forgot he was even here. Yeah, he was in the... Uh, so did a lot of people. He made the Olympic team over there. Well, yeah, but it's... Switzerland. Switzerland. <laughs> <laughs> All right, coming up after the break, we're going to get to your questions on Twitter. We're also going to... Uh, a little bit of a rant about the local media here. It's it's going to be fun. Uh, also, some NHL news. Uh, coach getting fired. Fun. <laughs> That's always fun. And five tough questions. This is the Predcast brought to you by Lion Zone Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need to partner current and latest website design standards. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since Sorry, I was just so taken aback by the break. It was just, no. it was nice. We look it up. <laughs> what we got over there? Different things that break. No, no, no. What, what we got over here? I'm just curious. Over here? Oh, I was uh, just going through Alex's recap from last night. Oh, okay. It's uh, work related. It was a good one. I, I feel happy for Alex because he finally got a chance to to like recap a fun game. Yeah, I know. I almost took him off recap duty for a while. <laughs> the last one I did was I had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah. I, I enjoy doing recaps once in a while. I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know if I could do the grind of it that you guys do. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly what it is. It's grind after a little while. Back in the day, Dirk let me do a recap. How'd that go? It's awesome. I, uh, I I photoshopped. It was against the Detroit Red Wings. I photoshopped a bunch of pictures. Uh, <laughs> like no words to the recap. Oh, there were just, words. It just it just it's it lay with a picture. I think I like I made uh I, I found like a picture of a magician and made him look like and made like a Pavel Dotsuk and then the other one I think Zetterberg was Zoidberg. <laughs> So uh, why not Zetterberg? So exactly, you did a uh, you did a royal half recap. Um, I a royal half. Do they do they do silly things like that? I don't. I don't yeah. read. Oh, yeah. I, I know battle. Like I read Battle of California because who doesn't want to read 
It's Battle not, of California. It's not as like raunchy or crude as Battle of California because let's be honest, no one can no. be. But it's it's very silly and zany in a in a good way. Okay, I like it. Um, what's the, what do we do first? You want to get into Twitter questions, or do you want to get into our? Let's go run out of questions. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get that. Let's get out of questions. That way we can have a little bit of intrigue for the people that are like, oh boy, what's he going to say? Yes, the tension is palpable. <laughs> yeah. Come on! It's whenever I guest hosted the uh, radio show on uh, on ninety five nine, they called it mild and crazy because you know, not a very exciting guy, I guess. Mild and crazy, mild and crazy. All right, let's lead it off. Stephen Lowry writes in: Not much time left before the playoffs, as it sits now. What is the worst first round matchup possible in your minds? On my minds, Predators versus Godzilla. That sounds pretty damn terrifying. <laughs> yeah. I, don't I don't think the think Predators they're... could beat Godzilla. I don't think so, unless they somehow made a uh, a trade for Mothra. <laughs> Mothra ain't played nobody. <laughs> I hear Mothra plays center, though. I don't know if they need a center anymore. How do they match up against the Kings? I think the Kings are a better matchup than Chicago. You think so? Yes. I still think that the Kings make me nervous come playoff time. Yeah, I think the, the issue I would have with the Kings and why the Kings would really worry me is is the they're play, they're the way they play hockey against the way the Predators play hockey. I just think that they're going to I think they're going to be able to outpossess the Predators and it's going to really limit the Predators efficacy out in the ice. And if they do that then Lavalette's going to have to try to teach the team how to play a 100% uh rushing counterattack style and that's a tough thing to do in the playoffs just to, just to change systems. Also, we've seen so many times this season where even in the Capitals game, if you want to go backward, they're playing such a good game, one bad mistake ends up in the back of their net. The Kings can do that, and then they will just stranglehold the Predators and not let them score a goal. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a Predators team that just has broken even on goal differential against a team with, like, I think a plus 20, plus 22 goal differential. Ooh, I got it pulled up. Hang on one Yeah, second. the Predators are right now at zero. Yeah. Um, I- my thing with the Kings is that they're not a very fast team, and those are the teams that really give Nashville a lot of trouble, the teams that move around the, the neutral zone and teams that that join the rush and teams that come in the zone with a lot of speed. They're just a big team that likes to push you around, and they know exactly, and that's probably the reason why they went out and got Lucci. It's the reason why LeCavalier is going to work there for a little while. You're welcome. The Cavalier. What? He's not a flyer anymore. Oh, I know. It's great. So... I still like them better than Chicago, just because there's. Some, I think that there's just at this point there's. I mean, let's address it. There's something mental about that playoff series with this franchise, with this fan base, with the team itself. That if they can put that off for another round or so and get some more confidence, great. Mm-hmm. That's kind of an ugly reality. Yeah, no. As as long as as Marty Iran walks the earth, the pros will never be able to beat the Blackhawks. Uh, Brett Garrett Meeks writes in, have we finally turned the corner? The only game I feel like we played bad was St. Louis and Philadelphia since the All-Star game. Yes and no. I would no. disagree with that. Yeah. The, the, the only bad games. The... It's been a, f- a few more than that that I think were, were poor. And, and they haven't fixed. The Predators have yet to fix their biggest problem that's been the problem all season. And I know I think we're going to touch on it later, but they haven't fixed their goaltending issue. Yeah, and to reiterate what you said uh, in the first half was that the Predators ha- every week have one really strong game and then eh, the rest of the time. I mean, you look at who they played. So they played a very good Washington team. They played a very good Tampa Bay and Florida team. And and then this week coming up, they've got the Kings, they've got the Bruins, uh, they've got uh, the Stars coming up. So I don't think that 
we can even say right now that they've turned a corner when the last matchup against the Stars was awful, and we have no idea how they're going to match up again tomorrow. Yeah. And the Stars are actually, just to comment real quick, are a particular nightmare for the Predators because everything they do is on the rush. Yeah. And, you know, if Pekka, his positioning is off, his rebound control is off, as it is right now, he that that's not a good game, not a good style you want against the rush. Mm-mm. You're almost better off with Carter Hutton in net right now than Pecorine. Not talking generally necessarily, but specifically against Dallas because of their play style, you, you're probably better off. Probably some truth to that. Um, Richard Lawson writes in: Are you still our partner? Are you all starting to question our coaching? This is the most talented group of forwards we've had in years, if ever. I would question it more if the team was only scoring one or two goals a night. Since Johansson's been integrated into the system, they're scoring three or four goals more often than they're not. Yeah, and I mean, if, uh, if you're looking at the underlying numbers, there it's still uh, a, a good team metric-wise. They're just, you know, they have some underperforming forward, a lot of underperforming forwards. Yeah. They've got an underperforming goaltender. I mean, there's not really a whole lot that Laviolette yeah. can do about low shooting percentages and awful goaltending. Yeah, and the only the only issue that I see is is one that I think the Predators have had for several years now, and that is some of the forwards are a little prone to taking penalty, bad penalties in the offensive zone. Uh, you know, Craig Smith being, like, the poster boy for that, but he's Ar- always Ar- had Arvidsson it. has been doing Ar- that Ar- a lot, too. Yeah, and, and that's something I think can come down to coaching. I'm not sure who on the bench that that's who, who holds that responsibility necessarily, if that is a is a coach thing or if it's if it's something that um uh is one of the assistants but you know that i think is something that needs to be coached out of them a little bit more it's just to be a little bit smarter um in the offensive zone as far as taking penalties because that's that's a that's stupid yeah and one one of the biggest criticisms that i've seen also was that you know oh well, laviolette doesn't know what he's doing but he's throwing spaghetti against the wall because the lineups change every single day it's like well you know name me one more coach that doesn't do that and i'll show you an nhl coach yeah, I mean, I, every single nhl coach does that yeah there's you always I'm trying to remember which hockey writer actually threw that out there meaning like what makes you unique it's like oh only mike only our coach mixes up a lot i'm like no every coach does that I mean, that's part of, we talked about the reason why the Capitals may be struggling in the first period is probably because Barry Trotz is trying to find out the right combination of guys. In the second period, they're golden. Third well, period, they're golden. And to kind of segue off that, I looked at their possession numbers all season. Uh, 49% possession first period. It's 55 in the second and then 63 in the third. That's adjustment. Yeah, that's that's the definition of good adjustment. Um, yeah, that's kind of scary. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, and tell, so, tell that to the Stars last night. Oof. Um, let's see here. One of our good friends, Jack Mack, uh, John Conrad, writes in, Ooh. regarding Preds and trade date and, and uh, trade deadline rumors, could Poyle be hedging his bets on VZ signing? And, yeah. I hope not. Well, well, I think he is. The thing about it is, is that the Predators, as far as skaters, I don't really think they need to go and acquire anybody. Anything they pick up is going to be a a you know, win more type thing. And the Predators have a really bad history with picking up win more players. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because then you're just jamming in the lineup so for the sake of jamming them in the lineup and it causes problems because you're playing them in unfamiliar roles. You're giving them different deployments than they're used to. They might be playing on a different side of the ice just because you have to wedge them in there. And, and you know, we saw it with, with Franzen last season. That just didn't work. And Franzen was good before he came to Nashville and he was good when he left. And he's been fine in, in Buffalo for a bad team been okay he's been fine he's, he's been fine he's been okay he's been fine i said fine <laughs> yeah, yeah he's been fine you're fine 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of go back and forth on this because, you know, I, I had the article last week as far as, like, who they may possibly look at. And not a whole lot of people out there really make sense for this team. When, and But at, at the same time, you're like, you look at where they are and they're kind of like a middling team who doesn't decide, want to decide whether they're really good or really bad. And you feel like something could be added to help that out. But, like... I don't know. Yeah. I, I I think that honestly, my position is that they would be better off not doing a whole lot this trade deadline. Um, I don't think that Poyle should hedge his bets for VC, but I think that that would be that would be their best addition. Yeah. Is if if, if that's he an organic in. addition. Yeah, is what absolutely. I was that. Yeah, and people are going to. I think it, there may be a question on Twitter about this, but it, since it fits in the conversation, uh, you know, some fans may ask, well, what about? adding someone at goaltender. There's been a lot of conversation about, you know, a guy like Reimer or something like that. Hey, another thing I wrote this week. Um, But the challenge there is that you bring... Okay, let's say the Predators bring in Reimer and they don't send a goaltender out. Or at least not one of Pekka, which that would be absurd, or Carter Hutton, which would be less absurd. So they just bring on another goaltender. Well, now you've got an underperforming starter who gets paid over $7 million cap hit. You have Carter Hutton, who, frankly... In this, given the opportunity, he's performed better than the starter. Uh, though no different, I, I would argue, than he ever usually does. He just has very few appearances. Um, I think he still lets in his kind of one softy every single game, and you know, there's 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 doubts there. Um, but I, you, you, there's really issues, because all of a sudden you're then waving Carter Hutton, which maybe the team would be better for it, because you'll have another starter, but... Carter Hudden has not really been given a chance to be successful, possibly, and, and relieve Pekka a bit. So I think that's a bit unfair. And you're like, oh, this is it's rosters of maybe in fairness doesn't matter. I, I, try to work with the assets you have before you make some big trade for an asset you may not need. Yeah, and I mean, I agree with you 100%. Uh, I, I mean, I looked at that because that's been a question that many people have been asking. And it just it does not make sense. One, because of the reasons that you said before. Two, if you go out and get a guy like Reimer, he's either going to be um, replacing Pecorine, who's a, you know, a homegrown product, making that $7 million paycheck, or Reimer's going to be sitting on the bench while Pecorine tries to figure out all, all of his crap. And that's just not something that you want to give up assets for. I mean, looking at uh, one of the things that I compared it to was the Ryan Miller trade from so long ago because it was the same idea. Buffalo is tanking. They're looking to get assets for something. Um, Ryan Miller actually had worse statistics that year than uh, – I'm sorry. Miller had worse statistics that year than Reimer does right now. And, you know, you, you could argue that the Sabres at that point were, uh, you know, a worse team than the Maple Leafs are currently. Um what it took to get him was Yaroslav Halak, Chris Stewart, prospect, uh, prospect William Carrier, a 2015 first-round pick, and a 2016 third-round pick. Yeah. Well, I, I, mean, I, would, I don't know if it's going to cost that much for it, a backup, but that's still a lot to bring give out for someone well, yeah, I agree. you don't need. Um, I mean, that was a bad trade in general, but the, Miller was coming off of... Um, you know, national team performances coming off being like the Amer- the great American goaltender of his generation versus Reimer, who's just the goaltender for the Leafs, a team that is basically playing as the Marlies and just trying to ship off any sellable asset. I mean, I think they're 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 like at thirty million against the cap. That team, I mean, they're not even trying. They don't care. No, this year they really don't care. Now the only thing they care about is uh, what what uh, what players are going to get photoshopped into Leafs uniforms on Sportsnet. <laughs> Preds hateful fan writes in, what are the odds of signing Jimmy Vesey, not just for this year, but at all? Can we trade his rights if he seems likely to bolt? I think they're going to trade his rights if they don't sign him at the draft. 
or at least try to. Well, I mean, who's gonna take those rights though? Why are you gonna give up an asset for someone that you don't know is but gonna see? Sign? That's the thing. Like, you've got even less going with a guy like like VZ. I mean, is it? Yeah, you're getting you're gonna get what like a sixth or seventh round conditional draft pick from it because he's basically can do whatever he wants. You trade his rights to name pick pick a team out of a hat. Uh, Toronto, Boston. Boston. Well, Toronto is not gonna want to give any draft picks. They're full rebuild. Um, and VZ. Everyone's like, oh, VZ's gonna go to Toronto. Well, who? Because we, like, you have Stamkos and VZ, all these guys are like, they're going to go to Toronto. Toronto's going to be bad for about five years. They don't have the infrastructure why, set up. For- why would Stamkos want to sign in Toronto and ruin the back half of his career, the, the, like his prime years of his career? Why would he do that? He would be sabotaging his ability to get a Stanley Cup. To making him to the point where he it's not even a money issue because you're going to get paid more in Florida because you actually get to keep your money in Florida. Well, yeah, yeah, the it, American but, dollar is a lot stronger than yeah, the Canadian dollars. Yeah, but if the goal of a player is to win the Stanley Cup, why would you go to a team that's not going to be competitive for Stanley Cup for five years? It doesn't make any sense. Why would, why would I mean, VZ, maybe he would go there, but by the time he got free, I, I mean, he, he wouldn't. It's the same situation. Why would you go to a team like that? Boston, maybe, maybe. I think they're Boston makes of, more sense than Toronto I mean, does. They're, they're trying to move out Louis Erickson. That'll open up the left wing spot for VZ. Yeah. With the Predators, though, you're going to have someone who's going to be on this, someone who needs to be on the line with uh, Ribeiro and Forsberg. So that slot's open. Yeah, no, and, and I just think I get I'm so I know, I get what over the VZ thing. I get what you're exactly but, what you're and saying. I, and especially over anything about Toronto. It's like the team's imploding oh, on purpose. Why is anyone... It's like it's not like people were lining up to go to Buffalo to play with Eichel. You know, it's just not... not it's, it's, it's goofy, but it's Toronto, so of course. Josh Coons writes in, How impressed were you guys with Potato this weekend? Seems to be gaining confidence. Talks about his game in Florida. Um... I was actually on my way back to my car, and I missed the uh, the end of the game fight. But well, it was, it, it was looked, an end of the game fight. It was, it was, it was a fight. fight. It doesn't matter. End of the game of a five nothing. End of a five nothing game fight. You know, even even in the middle of the game, the fights don't matter. Um, it, I don't know. Potato is potato. He's. You know what? I'll I'll praise him. He's been better than we expected, yeah. right? I thought that this weekend well, he played a, a, a great couple of games. In the sense that he doesn't step in the ice and burst into flames, yes, I agree with you. But we I mean, expected you, that. You look though, at his right? performance. You look at his performance over the course of the games, and it's just terrible. Like his numbers over the course of like like spread out, they're just not good. Uh, and and that's fine because he's playing very minimal minutes. He's very, playing somewhat protected minutes. Um, he's playing with Jackman, so I mean, I don't, I don't, you can't have high expectations, but it's just it's not something you want to be, be basing your bottom pairing off of. No, I mean, how would you compare him against? Uh, we had another question regarding uh, Gromberg. Um, how would you compare him against Gromberg so far? The difficulty there is that for some, Lavulette has a decision when he plays Granberg. Granberg plays on a on a different pairing than Potato does, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't prefer that pairing. To have and keeping Ekholm Ellis together, right? So that's the issue I run into there. Um, it makes it really hard to compare them side by side because they don't play the same situations, the same minutes, situations, minutes, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and actually, uh, just before you, just to, uh, this is answering uh, Jacob uh, Siebert's question: Why not try Gramberg and Batetto as a third pair? It'd give more out minutes to Ekholm and Ellis and Jack. Because well, I think Jackman's been been he has he continues to meet my expectations for him. Yeah. And I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, Jackman wasn't brought in to be a shining superstar defensive player. You know that he's not going to score much, if any, points. Um, he was going to be playing on that bottom pair 
you know, regardless. And he's doing exactly what he needs to do. Yes, he's going to be a turnstile sometimes. Yes, he's going to let in more goals than probably some other people are. But he's physical. He does his job well. And there's no reason to take him out of the lineup. Well, I love a potato. And I, I, I get this is not this. Don't consider this to be analysis or an end all be all word in potato. But you look at his performance over the past three games, the ones we've been covering today. His Corsi uh, percentage for 46.7% against Washington, 31.6% against Tampa Bay, 308 against Florida. A team, they beat 5-0. When he was on the ice, the other team was getting 70% more shots than when he was off the ice. Score effect? Uh, maybe, but are you really are you really putting Potato out there more often at the end of the game? Well, the, the two games before that, though, he had sixty two and a half against uh, Philadelphia and fifty two and a half or fifty two against San Jose. Oh, but that's so the exception round. That's the exception round. The rule score effects, probably. I mean, he's he's up and down, but he's. I mean, uh, I mean those were, those were also two teams that have depth issues. And when at uh, Chicago, he was sixty one point five. Well, yeah, I, it's just. He's kind of old. Well, he said Chicago, but Chicago a couple of few games later, 24.0. Yeah. (laughs) He's all over the place and it averages out to crappy. Um, I mean, he just gives up. 40 something percent. Yeah, that's not great. Yeah, well, it's well below 50%. For this team, that's not good. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just inevitable when he's out there, he's going to get more shots are going to go onto the net. And for a team that lives and dies by limiting shot chances, it's not who you want out there. But then again, I mean, Granberg doesn't play the minutes with with, uh, Jackman. And then. Mysteriously, the other guy the Predators picked up, Stephen Elliott. Stephen Elliott is in. I guess he's in. Is he in Milwaukee? He's, he's in Milwaukee. Milwaukee. He's in Milwaukee. So he's, you know, who I'm knows what he's doing? Pretty sure he's doing pretty well in Milwaukee too. I haven't looked at his yeah. stats. So recently, it, but. there's not a lot of choices, and and you can't send down. I mean, Potato and Granberg both have to go through waivers, so you have to decide if you if you're just done with them. Right. Then again, I mean, I'm always surprised by the players that don't get picked up off of waivers. Christian Erhoff. Christian Erhoff. Waivers straight through. I mean, like, oh, his cap it's awfully high. It's like it's 1.5 million dollars. Yeah, I wonder if there's something else like that maybe we don't know about. Well, with why. the Kings, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is uh, the LA just, Kings. Stuff drives me nuts. Uh, Brett Nash Memphian writes in. Since we all know Poyle goes all in at the trade deadline, who could we be shipping out? I know who you get, but who could we lose? And We've talked about this a couple times about how this team, if they did want to get into sell mode, they have some assets they can sell, like a Paul Gostin if they really wanted to. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's kind of a tough question because they have a lot of redundant prospects. They have a lot of re- they do have some redundant players. They have a, they still have all their draft picks. They have farm system that's loaded with a lot of B minus C plus prospects. They could they could do some they could do some damage there. Yeah, and I guess it depends on you know. Who are you it, bringing back? I mean, if you can, yeah. you can sell. You can maybe ship off a Wilson or a Smith if you really wanted and, to. And that's what I was going to get get at. Um, you know, if they package them in a deal for something, uh, especially because a lot of teams are close to that uh, fifty contract roster limit. Uh, that you know, it, depending on who you're shipping out, you're gonna have to send some guys over there. Um, I I think that Wilson and Smith each have their own. Uh, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, value. That's the word. Oh, that I'm really? I, okay, I was, I was like, yeah. I was like, value, but yeah, I didn't th- think that would be it. That's a very hard word to remember. Uh, I think they each have their tricky. their own value, but I mean, I don't know if the after one season, if the no. Predators are really like sour on them. Yeah, I mean, the Predators went out and got Ryan Johansson in a in a noteworthy, big, flashy, noteworthy trade. There, there isn't really anything that Poyle can do to make the team, at least the skaters, better. Mm-hmm. And there's 
only so much he can do on the back end of the team because of contracts and marketing. Like that's the other thing that we didn't really didn't talk about with Pekka is that you've got contracts, you've got marketing. I mean, he's he's a face of the franchise. When you when you just sit the face of the franchise, that's going to be a, a you know kind of a PR type blow. And the Predators are very sensitive when it comes to, to to how they're perceived in the local market. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're if your face is on one of the banners, you are pretty safe. Uh, yeah. Um, so, although I guess you could not tell that to Patrick Hornquist, but yeah, he was Martin Erat still in business the building too, I believe. Well, but that, but Mark, what did Erat do? He burned bridges essentially, yeah. saying I want I want out, yeah. and so they're like, okay, well then screw you, you were done with you. I don't know if he necessarily burned the bridges because I, I I I feel like people say like, oh yeah, he was just done with the franchise. It wasn't that. It was that you know he saw where the franchise was going out and said, hey, you know what. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm old. getting older in my career. You know, go ahead, trade me so that I can, you know, have a shot at a championship or something like that, and that yeah. way you can bring I, something I, that's, in. That's that's fair enough. But the point for him was he he requested, he ultimately requested to be traded, and then Hornquist, of course, the the president, was, we really went out and tried to achieve something. So yeah, and that was also off season, not mid. Uh, but was that off season? That was off season. Yeah, it was. It was a draft. Yeah. Um, and yeah, c- kind of getting back to your point about the uh, the blockbuster trade and everything like that. Um, no trade, obviously, is going to be that even close to what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've been looking at is: is there one player on the trade market, or you know, maybe a couple of players that is going to be able to be brought in that is going to push the Predators over the hump this year? And the answer is no. Yeah, because. The great thing about Johansson trade is that it it solved two problems. The one problem was the top line center. The other problem was was bottom six depth and having that rounded out and having that as effective as possible. So Johansson just ba- Johansson. I was doing so well. Johansson applied that downward pressure and all of a sudden you have a stronger bottom six. And that to me is always where teams need to solidify by the trade headline for the playoffs is to improve their depth and and that kind of defensive core that util those utility lines. Got you with that. Uh, let's see. Frank Marco writes in Yarny staying on the first line for the foreseeable future? Question mark. He's a great up there with talented line mates. Yeah, I mean for right now. Uh, it's, you guys can't see good. it, but I'm giving a thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, I've been ha- I, it's, I've been happy to see him up we'll there. Cool with that. Lincoln Vamos writes in. Have we ever seen someone get talked uh, to by the ref or kicked out of the dot more than Ryan Johansson? Good thing Callie is on his line because no one can resist Callie Yarncrook's smile. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that when your team also employs Mike Ribeiro, the face-off could be, always be a interesting situation. But um, Johansson did get a penalty for saying drop the puck earlier, you know, or drop the bleeping puck. I didn't quite hear all that. But um, anyone else? What other center has this kind of issue where he gets kicked out of the dot a whole lot for no, I really it's it's a face off whatever. Yeah, I honestly it depends on the ref cuz there are some games where you see every center getting kicked out, sometimes you don't see anything. But that, that's all I got. Uh Rachel Freeman writes in, which line should Arvidsson be on and does management keep goose at the keep goose at the end of the season and print the season? No, please no. Uh Gostad's gone. No, he's not coming back. If they can if they can get him out before the trade deadline that'd be great, but he, there's no way he's getting re-signed. No, it wouldn't make any sense and and the Predators are I think just hoping you get a combination of Nystrom either just staying permanently injured or I don't know what Maybe they buy him out, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, going back to a question about Arvidsson. Arvidsson's kind of we we talked about this last week. He's one of those players that work in the top 6 or they 6 or they don't work at all. Um I, 
Yeah, I kind of like what's going on right now with uh, Smith and Arvidsson kind of switching spots right there because you've still got uh, Colin Wilson and Mike Fisher, who we knew know work well together, and Forsberg and Ribeiro, who we know work well together. Um, and then just kind of seeing, you know, as the game dictates who goes where because, you know, both of those guys are going to shoot. Uh, both those guys are, for the most part, going to try and do everything that they can to get open and see some ice. So I... I as far as they they belong on the second and third line, respectively, uh, switching back and forth, depending on how Lavi sees it. Yeah, I, I, not much to add to that, though. I, I keep having these fantasies of, of Arvidsson on the 3-on-3 uh, three three in overtime, where he's just going to attack the net, and he's going to chase his own rebound. He's going to get it back because there's only three players out there defending. Man, he should be out there for 3-on-3. Three three. He's perfect for 3-on-3. Three three. Salamaki is perfect for 3-on-3. Three three. As long as you tell him that Salamaki... Don't hit anybody. Because when you hit somebody, you're taking yourself out of the play. So don't hit anybody. Mika's, no hitting a three and three. Mika's just going to be like just staring like, I don't know what Mika I'm... do good. Mika do good. Mika do good. I love when people just write in trade possibilities. Just Google it. Uh, that's really about it for Twitter. Not a bad effort, guys. Good stuff. Good stuff. There's one guy who asked, uh, let's see, should we trade Shea Weber for Connor McDavid? Yes. <laughs> yeah. The answer is yeah, but there's no way any, no way Edmonton's going to take an asset that's 10 years older than McDavid, probably what, probably closer to 12 years older than McDavid. For No. Weber's a player that you want to have on your team when you're trying to win right now, and Edmonton is nowhere near trying to win right now. Well, in fairness, I don't think that was a serious question. I don't know. <laughs> you never know with our Twitter followers, do you? I don't know, man. I think it was. All right. So we touched a bit on Rene. We're, we're going to dive into that here. But um, something that's bothered me since about the right around Christmas time or so was uh, I've heard it multiple times on both the network, the broadcast, the flagship radio station that the, the phrase Pecorine and without some type of negative connotation and the words good year. By any goaltender standards, Pecorine is not having a good year. It's been a legendarily by, bad year. By Pecorine's standards, he's having a god awful year. He's he's terrible. He's not he's not he's having a terrible year by his own standards. He's one of the worst goaltenders in the league right now. Yeah. So we are. I mean, just about once a broadcast, or uh, about once or you know about once a week or so, if you're listening to the flagship station, you'll hear that you hear the phrase. You know, Pekka's having a good year. The bounces just aren't going his way. Carter Hutton, who's not a superior goaltender, the bounces aren't. What about him? So you can't tell me that it's it's bothersome to me because it feels like that 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 more so than most markets that the media is still in that we're still happy to have a team, we're still happy to have some type of professional sports here. So when you have a a, a more polished uh, sports writer like an Adam Vingen who comes from a very mature sports market. You can speak to this yourself, and you could speak to this yourself, uh, both Chris and John, for coming from and living in very mature sports markets. Uh, Washington, D.C.'s had hockey for 41 years. Philadelphia's had hockey for, what, about 50 years now? 50 years this season. Exactly. Yeah, 50 years this season. So they're used to this. I mean, Philadelphia's had professional sports forever, for, for, you know, since the late 1800s with the Phillies. I mean, Nashville, it's still still a new thing. So when the moment you you out yourself as someone who's not uh, who's saying that hey Pecorino is not having a great year, you know it, you have to why are you why are you being so mean I don't I don't understand you so it, it's bothersome to us I mean we kind of get labeled a bit of a bad guy you know for saying that but that's something I personally welcome 
Well, I mean, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I started covering the Predators as a blogger because I felt like there needed to be some bad guys. I mean, when I, you know, I was watching and I started, you know, I was reading on the Forge, I was reading, you know, 303, I was reading all of the Predators blogs that were big, and this was, I don't know, seven years ago, something like that. And the one thing that I was getting from a lot of them, it just, everything just felt the same. Everything felt kind of dull. Everyone was kind of getting the same quotes and the saying the same things. And I was like, well, we, somebody has to say something different. So I just started, you know, that, that was my goal. That was why I got into this in the first place and why I've continued to try and, and you know, commentate in that way and write in that way and be on this show in that way. And it, so I, I find that to be really frustrating even right now because we've had so much change. We had the, uh, the Barry Trotz change, which I was harping on for years, and it happened. The team kind of got very different. It got very exciting, and, and things were, were shifting in really cool ways. And then you, you kind of all snaps back because then you have the whole Pecorine thing where he is the worst starting goalkeeper in the league by a wide margin. Now, you may say there's like a guy like Bernier who's played you know about half the games for Toronto, and he's a mess. He's not he's, the starting goaltender, though. But he's not really the starting goaltender. He's just played a pile of games. Uh, and, you know, it, and it is so frustrating because people sort of talk about it, whisper about it, but no one really calls it out. When the team and, you know, uh, Tennessee obviously had, a great, had, had some great coverage where it was just huge quotes from the team. They're all like, oh, it's the team. The whole team's a problem. Like, we're not doing what we need to do. And Peck is like, well, yeah, you know, the team, it's a team thing, but I also, you know, I'm not playing where I need to be playing. And... No one calls seems to be willing to ask the tough question, call them on the BS, being like, there are teams with worse defensive systems than the Predators. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs have a goaltender with a .92 something save percentage in almost 30 games. Behind the Toronto Maple Leafs. Their best defenseman is what, Roman Polak? Who, who fall over themselves. You just watch him and they're falling over themselves, and you've got a guy who's got a well, well above average save percentage. Ninth in the league. Yeah, and... And then you're saying that it's just, it's like, oh yeah, the defense is a mess. And yeah, there's obvious problems. The team is not strong in front of the net in front of Pekka. We know that. But they're strong everywhere else. They're limit shots. And no one is really, there's there's still, years later, still no no tough questions. People still avoid asking tough questions of the team. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bothersome. I mean, we... Link and I, we go back, we've been doing, this is like our fourth year doing this. We did another show before this as well. You know, we've been doing stuff like this for five years. And uh, our motivations originally for doing so was that, number one, we always enjoyed, we enjoyed talking together because we lived in Murfreesboro. You know, that was a lot of fun when we could get Chris over. And uh, we thought it would be really cool if we recorded it, frankly. Uh, but it, it grew into something that we realized that we were doing stuff that no one else was really doing. That we, we it was a format that no one else had. Uh, John and Jason, I ended up meeting you guys a couple of years ago and honestly one of the best things that happened to me and that I can really remember just because I feel like it's a, uh, it's such a strong platform and we're able to do some things that, you know, a lot of sites can't do. We have a very active readership and we can interact with them. It's not, there are several different mediums we can interact with our readership. We don't have to do it all through Twitter. Don't have to do it all through Facebook. You know, we have our own community in our site. We have our community outside of the site. We have a whole network of other sites that are similar to us. And we have very strong backing with uh, Travis and the crew from SB Nation. So we're able to, if we want to take a stand on something, we can do so because we feel empowered to do so. Yeah, and I mean, personally, I, I wish that I could make it to more practices, more games, things like that. But I mean, this is not my full-time job. This is not something that um, I get rent money 
to do, and it's un- unfeasible for me to to be doing that. Um, and, and so, like, I, I I do wish that we could do that, but I mean, for the most part, I mean, I just got in this to to write about hockey, and which I I think that we all did. And here we are now, a couple years later, um, where we're at. Yeah, it's it's fun to see. It it really is. It's kind of fun to see. You know, uh, uh, I mean, we're all pretty good friends outside of here. I feel comfortable at least saying that. I don't think I've ever told you guys that, but um, no, I think I'm not comfortable with that, Dan. I'm not okay. comfortable. All right, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, we, we've um, we've kind of more kind of grown into that because mm-hmm. it, it was very much a bear, kind of a business relationship, and we've all kind of just kind of wove together, you know, after the last couple of years. But um, it, it's it's bothersome. We have something as glaring as like if you run a report just to show like the last three years of what Carter Hutton and Pecorine have done. I'm not saying Carter Hutton's been a world beater the, the previous two years. It's been far from it, but how bad Rene has looked compared to Carter Hutton. I mean, we, we should know who Carter Hutton is at this point. And the fact that, or here's an example, uh, Carter Hutton's uh, high danger, safe percentage at even strength, 83%. Pecorine, 78%. Worse, I think that's worse than the league for starters. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So four out of five times you throw the puck in the net from inside the slot. It's, I mean, he's going to stop. This it. is a team but that only gives up, gives up like eight high danger scoring chances a game average, mm-hmm. which is the lowest in the league. Yet we have, yet, yet you have a goaltender who gives up the most. It gets high danger worse. Leagues. Yeah. It gets worse. The penalty kill is the most damning indictment of how bad of a year Rene is having. The high danger save percentage for Carter Hutton on the penalty kill. 80%. It's pretty good, actually. Pretty good. Yeah. What do you think Pecorino's is? It's got to be in the 50s. 61.76. Wow. That's that's terrible. Yeah. His adjusted save percentage on the power on the penalty kill is just under 80%. Uh, Carter Hutton's is 93.95. Carter Hutton may lot. not be the best goaltender by any means in, in any one particular category, but at least his positioning is consistent. The only two goals that have beaten Carter Hutton on the penalty kill this year were both in the high danger area. And one of those was because Louis Erickson was standing all by his lonesome. Which is a with, common common yeah. ale of, ailment yeah. of the, uh, the practice part. And like, I think a penalty little kill. bit of that has to do, um, I mean, I don't think that we can fault Pecorine all by himself for anything that the well, team no, is doing. Um, I mean, yes, he has been having a terrible yeah. year, but I th- there are a lot lot more factors to that to, to begin with. And uh, I think positioning with the penalty kill earlier was was a big factor in that, but at the same time, you need your goaltender to to bail you out from certain situations, and that's not happening this year. What bugged me so much is is that, and and granted, actually, I shouldn't say this bugged me. I can't remember who threw it out there, but someone said, "Well, you can't blame a hundred percent of the problems on Pekka." I'm like, "No, you can't blame a hundred percent, but you can't blame seventy five percent of it on him." And Everyone seems content to ignore the fact that Pecorine is an active problem this year. Could he man- could he rebound? Could he just be having like a a like weird outlier statistical year where it, everything's just a mess? He can come back next season and be his normal self. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that track records. Yeah, there. that track record tends to, to suggest that that can happen. But you have to acknowledge that not only was he very average in the first front of the season, he's been terrible in the new year 2016 movement in the 2016 he's been he had a stretch of like horrendous. two or three games where he allowed well, i think only one goal well, a he, game and but as soon as the all-star break hit but he's sub 900 for for um 2016 yeah he, that's including the, <laughs> that really good stretch i'll show you how bad he's been in some of the other games uh just 
unacceptable. No right. one is calling yeah. it out as, as strong as they need to. And real quick, while you're looking at that too, um, you were mentioning the uh, st- statistics from Carter Hutton. Um, I myself am curious as how much of that is just small sample size because he hasn't played a lot. But at the same time, given what we've seen in that small sample size, the, the Predators yesterday, which was February 13th, played their 56th game. It was Carter Hutton's ninth start. He has not started or even appeared in double-digit games this season. That is incredibly stupid yeah. to do. I mean, to, to when run... When you have a, a goaltender that when you when their starter is having this much trouble... And who's 33 years old and has been a workhorse for his entire season. I mean, like, tone it back a little bit. Even if Carter Hutton is playing well above his talent right now, and maybe those statistics don't exactly say exactly what he is, he at least has earned the benefit of the doubt to play more, to give Rene a rest, and to give his team a chance to win. And the, I think the perception is a huge issue in this case. And here's the example I want to get for this. Uh, a few weeks ago, when the Predators were playing the Flyers, everyone's trashing Steve Mason on Twitter. Like, he's crap he's terrible so i'm like okay well he had he played behind a really bad blue jackets team as they always are and and he had some good seasons he had some really crappy seasons he also wasn't even wearing the right size pads for the last two years there yeah and and there were a whole (laughs) bunch of other issues um and and then he goes to philadelphia so i'm like okay let's compare renee's natural performances to uh steve mason's four seasons in philadelphia and say okay here is the equivalent yeah, Steve Mason has much better numbers than Pekka Isn't he a top 10 goaltender <laughs> he's like, the past he's four like years? He's like .922 in his Philadelphia career, and Pekka is like right up, just a little bit above um, overall average of like a 9.1 or .915. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it is, there's this perception in Nashville, and it's very deeply embedded that Pekka is a top five goaltender. He's had some top five goaltender seasons. He's had two and a half, which is a weird thing to say. He's had about two and a half. But he's been in the league for a while. Two and a half is not a ton of top-notch seasons. The other ones have been good. Uh, But there's a perception that he is a super elite goaltender, that he is going to be the savior of the team every time. And I just, I think that's a bit exaggerated. And I I think that the fans have that to a degree. And I think they're starting to get to to move away from that. And I I also think that um, uh, the, the team might have that problem too. He's a three-time Vezina finalist. Uh, he was named, let's see, that was in 2011, 2012, 2015. And 2014, when he went to the World Championships, he was the best goaltender, most valuable player. So he's had he's had spells where he's been, he was also all NHL in 2011. That was the year they went to the playoffs and uh, I, but, they, they beat the Ducks and the, and the Canucks I mean, that knocked him the out. The seasons where he was really, really good, he was extremely good. But then he, I mean, he's had injury issues and he's been up and down and he's had all, and it's just, it's, it's, it's difficult. What's well, something that no one, that no, definitely no one mentions is playoffs. He is not, he's never been a great playoff goaltender with the exception of the, uh, the series against Detroit where he just straight up stole that series. I mean, for as, as much talent as that team had, the 2012 team is the team that, I mean, that, you look at the Red Wings team they beat, there was no way they should have lost to that team with the exception of Pecorino just being himself. Yeah, and, I mean, you even look at last year. I mean, one of the reasons why Nashville lost that series was because Pecorino got outplayed by Scott Darling. He posted a 9.09 against Chicago last year, allowing 2.68 per game. And, I mean, that's not to say that Nashville absolutely would have won 
But I mean, you look at what their games were. I mean, they were up three to nothing at one point in a the game. They were up two to nothing in game six. Um, there were some games back and forth that you know could have really gone either way. Um, so it, it, that series definitely could have been a lot closer um, had Rene played like he had. But of course, you know we look look back at the track record because um, Rene hadn't played well since getting injured in that game against the Canucks uh, in uh, 2015. At, 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 after that, he just was not the same goaltender we saw earlier in the season. What is Carter Hutton doing that Rene could at least implement? I think that Carter Hutton's positioning is much better. He's not as near as aggressive as a goaltender as Pecorino is. Yeah, and, he, he does play a little bit more. He plays less aggressively because his positioning is not historically as good as Pekka's. Um, I, I think the big difference this season has been uh, Pekka has not had the rebound control and the athleticism he needs to be his normal self. Carter Hutton has as nat- just gobs of natural athletic talent. He is an incredibly athletic goaltender, so if he doesn't make the first save uh, or, or he makes or he gives up a rebound, he can recover and scramble to try to get the rebound back because his rebound control is not great. Um, he's When he does handle the puck, he's a pretty good puck handling goaltender, so he moves it a little bit more intelligently than Rene does. Rene just kind of smashes into the board and flings in random directions. Yeah, there's been a couple of times where uh, I've like, get a leash on that guy. Don't yeah, let him leave the crease. Uh, so I, th- I think um, Hutton is a little bit more thoughtful when he leaves the net. So that can, kind of conservative approach helps as well. Uh, and also, just, you know, teams are really big on trying to do lateral movement against Pekka, and from like behind the net especially. And, and, you know, that doesn't work as well against Hutton because he gets so quick from side to side. Also, the lateral movement's now a little bit harder for Pekka to do because of that hip surgery. Yeah. And I, so, I, you know, I, I don't think it's things that Pekka can emulate because it's a combination of injuries, aging, and maybe some, some psychological issues that are preventing him from, from playing how he needs to play. Rene is very aggressive as far as cutting down the angle. He's, re- he's always one of the quickest guys to jump out to the top of the crease, whereas Hutton really isn't. Hutton stays in the blue paint for most of the game. So it maybe Becca cut down on being as aggressive as far as trying to cut down the angle as quick as possible, especially if your defense is having trouble keeping players away from the top of the crease. Good, at, good work, maybe? I, well, I, I, this is based on nothing but observation. and, and, not, and it, So it seems to me that goaltenders at a certain age, they stick with their style. I mean... Even when they're 35, Brodeur was playing, the, was playing the same way he played when he was 25, generally speaking. Like, they don't make huge changes. Once they have their their style, they it, it's kind of ingrained in them. Like, Pekka goes at the top because that's his reaction. That's Because he he's he not thinking about it. He just does it. So trying to break that habit at 33, I think, is going to be next to impossible. Yeah, and I was going to touch on that uh, as well. Um, so thanks for stealing that from me. But Welcome, John. Yeah, thanks. I know, but to to go on that and something that uh, like I know very well and a great example of this is you know ag- aggressive goaltenders. When you tell them to stop playing as aggressive, doesn't necessarily work as well. I mean, going back to 2013. Uh, 2012, 2013, when Adam Oates was the coach of the Washington Capitals, uh, Dave Pryor, who was the goaltending coach at that point, quit because Adam Oates basically told him, I know how to do your job better than you do because I've watched goaltenders play. So Dave Pryor left. Ole Kolzik came in as uh, as a goaltending coach, sort of. And Adam Oates told Braden Holpe, do not be aggressive. Stay in your crease. Stay back. And then if you look at that, that was the worst season of Braden Holpe's career and people want to say oh yeah it was Mitch Korn who gave Braden Holpe his confidence and made him such a good goaltender 
Brayden Holpe was a naturally great and gifted goaltender before then, and then he told, then he was told, "You are playing this way, which is counter than any way that you've played in your entire professional career," and it came back to bite him. For as good of a player as Adam Oates was, and Adam Oates had some good years for the Capitals, did he not? Uh, uh, as far as a player, player, yeah. <laughs> as there <laughs> any, a is there? I mean, Gretzky was a terrible coach. He only coached for like a handful of games. He's like, I just, I can't do this. Handful there, of seasons. Yeah, you're right. A couple seasons. Um, is there any other player that's like soiled his his perception with a fan base by just being a crappy coach of the team he was a legend of? Because Isaiah Thomas never – did he play for the Knicks? I, that, that is not my That's element, basketball, dude. Sure, but, you know, uh, he'd be on that category <laughs> as far as just being a, a terrible coach for a team that he was actually a pretty good player for. Yeah, and, I mean, Adam Oates does a lot. Like, he was great as an assistant coach because uh, he, he he was there when uh, New Jersey went to the Stanley Cup final. And I will give him credit with the uh, power play because he was the one who implemented the one three one with the Washington power play that they still utilize to this day. Um, but as far as calling the shots, it's he is he is too smart for his own good and he know thinks and knows that he's the smartest person in the room and acts like it um, to where it was when you are telling your players, you need to change the lie of your stick and you're the curvature on your blade um, this way and this way and this way. It's not going to go very well. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, it's like coaching Ryan Johansson. I'm like, Ryan, stop kissing things. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan, no, stop it. Well, stop he, kissing things. Yeah, and he's doing some like consulting, and you know, players are h- hiring him now to work on fine tuning things. But that's a little bit different than you know, this is how you're going to play. Yeah, we're the making system. wholesale changes that you're going to play like Adam Oates 2.0. Damn it! Exactly. Well, it's the it's difference between um, you know managing the the floor of like the Ford car factory, like where all, they're pumping all the Mustangs, and versus running a custom Mustang shop where you're taking off the, you know, off the shelf Mustangs and making them into like high end machines. Yeah. Totally different roles. Mm. That's a good way to put it. I made a car metaphor. I was really good. <laughs> it's really good. My metaphor too. Uh, so yeah, versus Ford motor company versus saline. Well done. Exactly. That's exactly it. NHL news. Uh, Mike Yo fired via text message. I believe he confirmed with Russo that uh, <laughs> our favorite assistant principal is no longer uh, the coach of the wild. Who's going to hold the library down? I'm about to say, what was your favorite uh, yo moment? Like when he wheeled the TV into the classroom. <laughs> <laughs> Although he, he's, he definitely strikes me as the guy that would wheel the TV in the classroom and be like, all right, we're going to watch something. Here's a worksheet that you need to fill out while you watch oh, it. Oh yeah. It's like, we're yeah. going to watch remember the Titans today, but here's, here's a, Here's a worksheet. I need you to fill out the major themes as you go through. Like, oh, I hated that. Oh, and so it's like, it's like specific stuff. Like, what music was playing in this scene? And yada yada yada. And what? Are, oh. Yeah, bad. So my worry is that Minnesota. It seems like that this happens in multiple times where they have some type of moment that just re-energizes them. It's like they have a bunch of guys like Vanek, Parisi, Suter that have been here, done that, you know. And then, oh well, it's different now. We got Devin Dubnik. Oh, we're we're gonna start doing this now, and they go on a run. How worried are we? Should we? How worried should we be about the Minnesota Wild going on a run after firing their guy who's been coaching them for five years? The only thing that worries me about the Minnesota Wild is that I won't be able to use them to lull me to sleep at night. Maybe I mean you don't know who they're gonna bring in. It's gonna take a lot. Of, it's gonna take a Adam lot. Adam Oates? No, you know what though? No, he he <laughs> is doing consulting work with Parise and Suter and a couple other people. If they bring in Adam Oates, I will be so happy. There's an opening now for assistant coach because 
I'm just picturing Oh, oh are, is, up. was that confirmed or all his assistants gone too? No, no. Uh, who's the the guy took over for him? Um, I just I just had this vision of like oh it's being like Suter, you need to be using a three quarter inch blade in your mower, not not the half inch you've been using. It's no, you is need to you need to lower the you need to change the nitrogen level in your soil right it's like, now. No, plant wheat. It's the prices are low right now, but you need to plant wheat. See what you're doing is you're doing the spiral stick grip tape. The, you're, you're taping your stick in the spiral on the grip. You need to do that in an X pattern. That's what you need to focus on right now. Everything else will take care of itself as long as you start taping your stick this way. <laughs> uh, no, they actually brought in the coach from the Iowa Wild. <laughs> he is, always is he, uh, so I, I haven't looked at anything today. Uh, I saw that he was fired last night. Is that uh, interim basis, or is he going for the rest of the season? As far as like the Iowa Wild coaching the... Yeah, is he coaching them for the rest of the season? Or is this going to be something like uh, you know he's going to be there for one or two games while they figure out who to actually bring in? Uh, rest of the season. Huh. Interesting. I, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't feel anything about I th- it. I definitely think <laughs> it's much more of a, I mean, we we sat here on the show and we raved about the job that Chuck Fletcher has done making the Wild kind of a destination you know, franchise for college players and for free agents. Look at the free agents they've landed. I mean, Parisi, Suter, Vanek. They've done a really good job of at least knowing who to bring in. But they, and then they're all just sort of whining about everything. Yeah, yeah, but they're all like over 30. They're all over 30. They're all really expensive. They whine about everything. And they still don't have a number one center because they banked on guys like Mikhail Granlin and Charlie Coyle to be that number one guy. And it's never happened. So I don't know if I necessarily feel uh, like if we should be worried about the Minnesota Wild. I still think that they like they don't have that much ground to make up if you think about if as long as they win their games in hand because they're sitting at 56 points right now with 55 games played Colorado is at 62 points right now with 59 games played so they've got three games in hand on them and then Nashville has 61 points with 56 games played so they're at the same uh same point I don't know if any of us believe that Colorado is for real and I could totally see Colorado screwing the pooch more and Minnesota winning their games in hand and passing them more so than I could see the Predators screwing up and getting bounced by the Wild. I think I think that's where I sit. Shame Spiral? Oh, that's Colorado? Yeah. Yeah, hashtag Shame Spiral. There you go. Uh, let's see. Dallas and Chicago have really separated themselves from St. Louis right now. Marion Hosa uh, on IR. So Chicago's going to be without him for a good while. Uh, Jonathan Duran still in Tampa, still kind of just doing his thing. Uh, real quick, what are your chances? Do you think that the Winnipeg Jets sign Andrew Ladd, or is he gone at the deadline? He's gone. He's, he's gone. Got, I mean, yeah, they just don't have the space. And can we also really, really quick mention weirdly how why are the Jets so weirdly obsessed with Pavlich? Like they said, Hell, you buck down to the minors what? after he's put in a great. Do you not see that? They're they're trying they to activated take. Pa- Pavlich and they send Hellebuck down to the minors. It's like. You actively are making your team worse. For what reason? Some of the uh, Arctic Ice Hockey people were speculating that maybe they're trying would try to either waive or get rid of uh, Michael Hutchinson like through a trade or something, and then bring Connor Hellebuck back. Um, Hutchinson's not a bad goaltender. He's not. So I I don't know. Don't Andre Pavlich is not a good goaltender. No, maybe the, if they put if they, if uh, the Jets put Hutchinson on uh, waivers, do the Predators pick him unless, up? Unless unless they're trying to embrace the tank. Unless they're saying, you know what, this yeah, is a I lost gotta, cause. I'm going to be honest. The 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 
tank race is going to be tough for the Jets because how is it, trying to out-tank Toronto? I mean, Toronto struggles to be good. Like, when they're trying to be good, they're pretty awful. When they're trying to actively be bad, it's going to be incredible. The Jets are only four points up on the Maple Leafs right now. Guys, 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 guys. Right now, who is leading the tank race in the West? It's got to be the Oilers. You can't, you can't count out the experience the Oilers have in this position to get the job done year after year after year. They get it done. Oilers, roll tank. Although McDavid might uh, might help them not tank anymore if he just it's like, Connor, no, we don't need you to do that. Like, well, I'm going to go score five points in a game. We need to keep drafting elite talent and then losing. Connor, what do you think about your new line mates name? Well, uh, you know, I've I never met these guys before. Uh, Anton Lander and uh, Benoit Pouliot, they're a couple of good guys. but uh, I'm pretty sure Anton Lander was just a trash can put with <laughs> hockey pads on. But you know what? He's the guy that Philip Forsberg made look like a million bucks in the World Championships last year. Like yeah. to the point where like I was thinking, you know what? If they traded so and so, they can get back uh, Lander as part of that. And wow. Puglia's, I mean, Puglia's on the end of his career, but he's a, he was a pretty he's a good, he's he, a good player. He got he's paid good stupid money to go up to Edmonton. That's true, like four million dollars a year for Benoit yeah. Puglia. He, he's a good player, but <laughs> he's overpaid. Um, uh, also, Sidney Crosby is having an excellent year. Uh, oh, surprise, surprise. Just, you know, well, he, he kind of turned it on, so he's at least doing that much for him. Ovechkin's overtaking Kane as far as goal scoring goes. I don't see anybody catching Kane, though, as far as uh, points go, sadly. Um, anything else for five tough questions? No, you thought you brought up Patrick Kane. I just got bummed out. Yeah. Yeah, same. We try to avoid that here. Fine. Five tough questions brought to you by a dynamic sponsor opportunity here. Number one, is Eric Stahl going to be traded, and what are the odds he resigns in Carolina? So right now Carolina is still in a playoff race. Carolina still has a chance. Right now the Devils are leading the Islanders, giving an idea how strange the Metro division is right now. But um, I think the second part of the question is more important because even if he is traded, he's probably going to come back to Carolina, would he not? I go back and forth on this because... I feel like as their other centers develop, I think that he could be a very good depth option for them, depending on how much money he's going to command. Um, you know, Carolina is not a cap team. They've got plenty of room to sign them, but do they actually have the money that they can pay him to do that is, yeah. is the big question. Um, I think the smart move would be to trade him at the deadline. But given, I mean, they're only three points back from the wild card spot right now. I mean, that's incredible considering where we thought Carolina was going to be right now. So are they going to hedge their bets and say, you know, we'll deal with the consequences at the end of the season so that we maybe we can try and get in the wild card spot? Um, or are they going to say, you know what, it was a really good run. We're ahead of where we wanted to be. We'll trade him and then deal with the fallout later. Yeah, Stahl, any question involving Stahl at this point I find to be a little intriguing because he has turned his season around. He went from being a complete mess to actually being a regular contributor again, uh, which has drastically boosted his trade value. Before it was sort of, you know, you could let him go for a little bit less because he was having a rough season and you're sort of gambling that he improves when he, when he moves to a new team. Well, now that price tag has gone up and, you know, it is very difficult to trade for that number one center. The Predators now know this very, very well. I don't know what team goes out and says, we want Eric Stone willing to pay the price to pick him up at this point. Uh, I just think it's 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 really difficult to do without impacting an important part of your team. Yeah, yeah. Like, say Minnesota. Yeah, and that's what I was just going to say because most of the teams that, I mean, 
if most of the teams that he'd be brought into, other than like a Minnesota, he'd probably be playing two C, I mean, yeah. which would be incredible center depth. But does Minnesota have? The resources well, the to, to to trade for Eric Stahl. I think Minnesota would have to give up pieces that are too important in Minnesota. Like if Minnesota could get Eric Stahl with no strings attached, which is impossible, then yeah, that'd be great. But I think they'd have to give up pieces that would actively make them worse somewhere else, and it wouldn't really solve the problem. They'd have to make a couple moves and be really creative and have a fantastic GM who just fired their you know and they just lost a coach. So I don't think it, it would work for them. I think that the Jonas Berdeen trade really hurts Minnesota in a couple of ways. Number one, he at least eats minutes. But this was the guy that was being compared to Roman Yossi whenever he whenever uh, the pseudo Weber split happened. Uh Brodeen's not nowhere close to to anybody right now. Brodeen has been a disappointment the last two years. And him being traded takes him off the trade market. So in order for Minnesota to get a piece like an Eric Stahl, they're going to have to trade a guy like a Marco Scandella or a Matt Dumba or a guy that has, a, is frankly, a much better player than a Yotis Brodine. Yeah, and that's the problem that the Wild see themselves in right now is because if they want a good player back, they don't have a lot of assets to, to deal with, and the ones that are good that would command any value are going to hurt the team in the long run, and it's not going to be worth trading for it. Yeah. And you look at their draft picks, I pulled them up right now, they've, for 2016, they've got their uh, first round draft pick, they've got a fourth round draft pick, they've got a sixth round draft pick, and then two seventh round draft picks. Yeah, I, they just don't have the assets, and no. that's, that's the thing. The Predators really... Uh, changed, they, the Predators were very fortunate, and they really affected the market by making the Johansson trade. You know, I, we talked about this. I think Dan, I think specifically you talked about this. I can't remember how many weeks ago, where the Predators built up a surplus of one type of player, like defensive players, and so Jones, while being hopefully elite in in the future, basically they could be like, yeah, we can trade him because we have a solid top four defense defensive uh, setup. And so if they we want to trade. We can trade Seth Jones. I mean, that's like that's almost like what the Oilers are, are so the situation there. It's like, yeah, we could trade. Uh, we could trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Yeah. We can trade him because we've got so many elite young players. We can move that we Leon can back him. to center, and yeah, yeah, they're not. They don't seem to. Well, obviously, they were willing to move uh, Hopkins, Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, but they wanted Kamenev. Oh, they wanted him as well. They yeah. wanted Kamenev to go with Jones. That's what I'm putting together. Is that the Oilers asked about him, and the Preds said nope. Yeah, which is so, fantastic. But yeah, Love but it. the Predators not only did they 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 kind of set a tone. They one of the teams that needed a number one center cut themselves out of the market very quickly by taking advantage of a straight area of strength and making a whole team better. It just trade big trade deadline acquisitions where you pull in big players. I've people are probably sick of hearing me say this. It rarely works to bring in a big name player at the trade deadline. What works is filling out the depth of the team and making smart moves because bringing in big players means you have to ship out important pieces. Right. And all it does is hurt your team long term because it is really, really, really hard to win a Stanley Cup. If you don't know this, it's the truth. It's very difficult to win. Minnesota decided to go all in for about a three to four year period with guys like Pominville, Vanek. Uh, they knew Mika Koivu was kind of getting up there in age. They went all in for this. This is like the last year I think that Minnesota is really going to have a shot to, to, to do anything major. And they decided to do so without a top line center. And their now their cupboard's bare. They have very little choices. Their depth isn't good. I mean, and the kids didn't develop like they were promised to do. I mean, they have. I mean, this Minnesota has a decided schematic advantage when it comes to scouting players because you're in Minnesota. You have college <laughs> hockey right there. You're right next to. You're in the middle of of hockey territory. That's why you can get guys like Eric Halla in like the the sixth or seventh round. The, Eric Halla had a very good postseason a couple years ago. He's not any good anymore. 
but that's hockey. So that's a that's a fine example, and frankly, I, I, it's kind of always awkward when we praise David Boyle, but cap, you know, cap tip to you. Number two, fun question for you too: Who is your most trusted national media member? As in, when someone Bob, ra- right? Yeah, Bob McKenzie. You just follow Uncle Bob. Where does um get a couple more names out there other than just Uncle Bob? Uh, I'm a big fan of Craig Button. I actually don't follow. I'm really uh, you know bad I, following people uh, on Twitter. Craig Button for prospects. Yes, fantastic. I just wait for people to retweet stuff. I don't. I don't follow when it comes to yeah, comes to pro- always retweet. Comes to prospects. When it comes to playing the game, Craig Button's a guy I definitely listen to. Yeah. Uh, anybody else other than Uncle Bob? Because he's kind of low hanging fruit there. Well, yeah, but <laughs> he's Uncle <laughs> he's, Bob. He's, yeah. He knows everything. Let, let, so uh, he's good I as far mean, as Myrtle, trade like stuff Myrtle. goes. He's good as far as trade stuff goes. I think Myrtle's but, decent. But as, as far as follow. like, a, but as far as like the game itself goes. Um, no, actually, you know uh, Elliot Friedman. Like his, his thirty, Myrtle, yeah, Friedman, his his thirty thoughts good. column is must read. The, the amount of nuggets that he has in there is fantastic for people who want to know like the insides of the game because he he never divulges too much, but just enough. To like, to be like, ooh, I want to read this, and he's he does it in such a, a, a pleasant way too. Yeah, he he knows he knows stuff, but he doesn't give away too much. I, I do. No, like his that. his columns are very are, they're fun, they're whimsical, they're they're very nice to read. Number three, the NHL has been coy about expansion since uh, Seattle couldn't get their act together, and they've been really lukewarm since Vegas and Quebec City were the two finalists. Um, so the question is in your opinion well let's let's be honest they've said you know if it happens in 2017 it happens if not it doesn't happen in your opinion what north american city would you like this would you like to see an nhl team in seattle and las vegas yeah i i mean uh i'm all aboard for seattle i think that's great uh you know give the canucks a natural rival that's you know the sharks a natural i mean people in that area love cascadia the whole cascadia cup crap they make up um I was going to so, go with Portland. So, you know, I don't know if Portland would immediately support a team like Seattle could. Um, just generally speaking, I mean, Seattle people, like, they'll hop on something new and they'll dive into it. They're they're more willing to accept the corporate spin into the lives, whereas Portland's, they, you know, a little bit more independent. I mean, that's where, like, the Timbers position themselves as, like, you know, Seattle Sanders, you're, like, the big gargantuan, like, corporate. And we're the Timber Army. We have chainsaws. And we're, like, you know, lumberjacks and independent. And it's great. So... It, Getting that in hockey is a little bit more difficult because of you know the NHL's tone. So I think it's a little more difficult to get into Portland than Seattle. Uh, I don't want Las Vegas to be honest. Really, it just feels tacky. Um, you even look at like the 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 minor league team, the Wranglers. Is that the right name? Yeah. yeah, they. I mean, they live off of spectacle. Like they always come up with like, here's a really super goofy idea. We're gonna like make a riff off of a headline in the news. And they'll like have special uniforms based on a headline. In the news. See, I think that's cool. Well, I, no, like, no, I have, but it's I've great. That's very minor leagueish. Yeah, but, it's, but it works for them. It's it is a oh hey we can see this like there's a team that's playing a game on the top floor of a building, and they're going to be dressed as cops and robbers to lampoon a uh, like think, a politician. It's I like it's, you're worried about you're worried about the NHL creating another like Florida Panthers from a couple years ago, just doing whatever it takes to fill the building. Uh, no, it's not even how they fill the building. It's just that that is how hockey is in Las Vegas right now. It is it is on the high end of minor league gimmicks, gimmickry. Uh, and I think, you know, you, you put a team, you put it in there, and who, who are you trying to attract fan-wise? Because if you put it somewhere near the strip, you're immediately saying, we're trying to, we're trying to attract tourists. Where is the... It's going to be at the south part of the strip, kind of towards the, the UNLV campus. I believe it's right next yeah. to um, uh, the Sands. If you, if you talk to people from Nevada, 
they're gonna tell you like they're you know it's basketball people territory. who live there they ignore they flat out ignore the strip they don't want to think about the strip they don't want to be near the strip so if you put a hockey arena near the strip they're no one then you're gonna have trouble getting them to come it needs to be far enough away where it's las vegas's team without being the the casino's team because that's that's the problem is that everyone thinks about las vegas they think about going there and partying and having a great time like everyone outside but if this team is for the people of Las Vegas, the people who live there, that's that's what I don't think. I don't think the team is for the people who live there. I think I think it's for the people who who are near the strip, who are the outsiders. Well, I mean, who's going to be the ones that are going to be putting money into the team? I mean, the the casinos are going to buy season tickets. The you know you've got right, investors that can do that. I think that's counterintuitive. You're not building a fan base. You're just making money. But I mean, they, that they've sold long term. They've sold the season tickets. I mean, there's uh, there's plenty of people in Las Vegas that aren't corporate sponsors that are willing. Oh, you know the to hotel go into the to to put their support into a hockey. We team. know the hotels are going to buy all those up because yeah. I mean I don't I mean I don't think the NHL cares. I don't think the team cares where the money's coming from. But the it, fact that it's yeah, but sold. that's not a long term strategy You're for right. success. You were absolutely so right. So that's that's what I'm like. The team needs to be there for the people of Vegas, it, not for the strip. It doesn't and I work. Don't think it's going to happen. It doesn't work with hockey. It does work for the NBA. And I think that the if the the first league that needs to go into Vegas is the NBA because that's a basketball market. UNLV has won national titles before. Basketball is a much better TV product. They don't care if the building is full as long as the games are on TV. But there, there's a pomp to basketball that no other sport can can mimic. There is something about having this game in this kind of you can like have a dark arena. It's a very small, tight, contained space that the, the game takes place on. Everyone's crowded around, like. You know, even like, because I just think about even back to like the NBA Jam video games when like all the camera flashes, and even you go in person, you still get camera flashes. Oh, it's, it's a great to see. Live. It's, I mean, basketball live is is really incredible experience. There is this excitement and uh, this this theatrical element There's that no I've never seen from another um, major sport in the United States. That, that level of theatric and that is a lot better to your point and great for Las Vegas because that theatric nature plays into the strip and and I think it's a little bit more sustainable because people will will, are more likely I think to go to a pro basketball game than a pro NHL game and you've already got a fan base there that that knows the game in that area Hmm. that's really really good Um, uh, the reason why I say Portland is to kind of wrap that up they already have the arena built Seattle still doesn't have an arena built right now Uh, the problem is, is that the the Portland Trailblazers are like the monopoly, like the Uncle Scrooge of the of the Northwest. Like they do not want anybody else. They tried to block the Timbers from even going to the MLS. So unless the guy owns the unless the guy owns the Blazers owns the NHL team, won't happen. Yeah. Uh, number, let's see, what are we on here? We're now at number four. When it comes to snagging the wild card spots, what Western Conference teams should Nashville be most afraid of? Between Minnesota, Colorado, Arizona, or anybody else? They should probably be more scared of Minnesota than anyone else, but I, I I don't think as long as Nashville plays like they played this weekend, I think that they will be fine. I'm not worried about them not making the playoffs. Um, I fully expect them to be in there. Uh, you know, winning a round or two that's a different conversation. But I mean, the Colorado Colorado Avalanche lost four to one to Buffalo today. I mean, they're they're doing their, what they've done before. Where will pres- you be when regression hits? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. They're riding the pre- percentages. Just, just even looking, if you look at things based on goal differential, you know, I would I would agree. Minnesota's the only one to worry about. You guys, you've Arizona, 
minus 24 goal differential. Vancouver, minus 21 goal differential. Yeah, Colorado's in minus six. Minnesota's at a minus five. Yeah, but I think, so I think the, the minus five yeah. is a little bit um, exaggerated right now just because of how bad they've been recently. Yeah. Um, I think that'll turn around. But yeah, so I mean, the teams that worry me are the ones that are close in performance level. I mean, Colorado, they've got three games in hand on everybody, so they're sort of just riding the uh, the adv- game advantage. Well, in the in, so in the West, you're looking at uh, the only teams with a positive goal differential are Los Angeles plus twenty two, San Jose plus fourteen, Dallas a ridiculous plus thirty two, Chicago plus twenty six, and then the only other two are well, one really is St. Louis with so a plus four, Nashville is even. Oh, and everyone else reco- is Anaheim's in full recovery though. Yeah, they're, that's true. They're fixing that. Anaheim's problem. making the play. It's the Pacific Division. Anaheim's making the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Um, Colorado's played 59 games. Nashville played 56 games. Minnesota yeah. played 55. When you said game in hand, I was like, what? Sorry. Yeah, I yeah. kind of got that. I used the terminology backwards. Double entendre. Yeah. Um, last Is question. what that means, Dan. <laughs> I know. Last question. Uh, how good of a team would Nashville be if they just had average goaltending this year? Uh, I mean, that would really, I mean, realistically speaking, that would only probably add four to six points to the standings no, i don't even know if i'd go that high maybe well maybe, maybe four to six. yeah um so i mean where would, would that would put them out of the wild card well no that'd leave them still in the wild card area yeah, no they'd be, be they'd be over um colorado but still below yeah. st louis within shooting within shouting distance of st louis right mm-hmm. yeah okay. um pretty much and that's just because they're in the central yeah and that goes back to you know losing all those overtime games because they're uh one and eight in overtime, so if they, you know, theoretically, if they had won all those overtime games, they'd be pretty close to St. Louis. If they yeah. had won even half of them, they'd still be within spitting distance. Yeah, I mean, so I think that those points are going to come back to haunt them, especially when the playoff race becomes a lot closer. We're going to look back and say, like, okay, so they are playing Chicago in the first round when they could have been playing, I don't St. know, it's St. Louis. They could have been playing uh, Los Angeles. I don't know. Yeah. Do you still think Chicago takes the Central? I'm still. I still think Dallas is one of the pulling it off. Um, yeah, and also Dallas has three games in hand on the Blackhawks right now. Um, I don't. It, it's it's going to be a race, I think. But uh, Chicago doesn't need to win the Central. They really don't. They're they'll they'll turn it on in the playoffs. Um, and I think that if it comes down to we can make a push to win the Central, or we can you know just play our hockey to get into the playoffs and do everything from there, they'll. They'll take the ladder every time. I got a fun question. Fun one. This is bonus. Just real real quick right here. So I'm looking at potential playoff matchups here. Eighth seed. Who would be a tough matchup for Chicago? And I say Colorado. Because Colorado is the one team that they're okay with. Okay, fine. You can have the puck. That's fine. But the moment we get it, watch out. That didn't really work for them last time. No, it did not. Hash Brown, James, Spain, Powell. I can't talk anymore, apparently. I need water. <laughs> My mouth is so dry. I, I like uh, I just because Colorado is something different. The Co- Chicago knows what they have against St. Louis. They know yeah. what they have with Nashville. Yeah. They know what they have with Minnesota. You say something different. I think there's something awful. What do you mean? I think, the, the, I think, the, the, I think oh, Colorado's pretty awful. I'm, I'm honestly, I mean, Colorado's probably the worst team in the, in the whole playoff race that we're talking about here, aside from Arizona. But... At the same time, you know, styles make fights. It's a boxing term. Uh, I, I think that Colorado will get annihilated by the Hawks in yeah, short it, order. I'll, I'll give them one game just that they fall ass backwards into, but it, it would be a five-game series. Yeah, maybe. 
I mean, all likelihood, yeah, but it, I mean, this is a Colorado team that's got a banner hanging because of they they've somehow pulled it off. That was a different. That was a different era of hockey entirely. No, they're talking about just two years ago when they won the division. Oh, I was thinking like a Stanley Cup banner. Yeah, you're talking about division. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They no. They 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 failed their way to success. I mean, that was not. They were not good that season. They were just very 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 lucky. Still, one more banner than we got. Yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, looking ahead of this week, uh, fun week, right? Oh yeah, we got it pulled up already. Or? I know we have yeah, Dallas. It's Dallas up. tomorrow. Dallas tomorrow, Dallas Monday, and then we got what Boston. Uh, it's Boston. Yep, L- Boston Thursday. Boston Thursday. Oh, Boston I, Thursday. I switched that up. Yeah, so Boston Thursday, and then uh, L.A. on Saturday. That is not an easy week. So this is going to be one of those weeks where, like, all right, the printers they think they're a possession team. Watch this. This will be back to uh, the that gentleman's question about turning a corner. We will we will see if anything happens out of this weekend. Uh, I mean, after that, it week. gets a lot. It gets pretty rosy because they go to Montreal, who's slumping. Then they go, then they go to uh, Toronto after that. So make it through this week, and they're in pretty good shape. Um, before we get our predictions, Carter Hutton or Pecorine, who plays what game? Oh, you're going to see Pecker for all three. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, Carter Hutton should be playing tomorrow. I He's not going to though. Yeah, I'd love to see Hutton at least get one of them. Honestly, I mean, I'm of the mind, and I've been a, I don't want to say Carter Hutton hater, but uh, I'm, I haven't been Carter Hutton's number one fan the past two years, uh, but I am of the mind that at this point, you ride the hot hand, and Carter Hutton showed what he can do last night, and he was exactly what they needed. He answered the bell when called upon, and he's probably not going to give that performance every single night. But from the performances that he's put forth so far this season, he absolutely deserves more than nine starts. And he absolutely should be back in the crease, if not just to give his team a chance to win since Pekka has been all over the place and most of that time he's been bad. Yeah, I at least want to see him get one game. I mean, if this is the one game against Dallas because you can at least count on where Hunt's going to be in the net for positioning's sake alone, let's do it. Uh, prediction for the week: one, one, and one, two, and one, one and two. I'm gonna, I'm gonna admit, I feel really, really bad about this week. I do too. I am, I'm going to go way off board. I'm, I'm literally gonna say, oh, two and one. I think it's gonna be a nightmare. Uh, I'll go with that too. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if they, if this they is can, the downcast brought to you by the on, on the four <laughs> Yeah, if they can uh, wrangle any type of wins or any type of points out of that, that'll, that'll be nice. But. Just the way that LA has been playing right now, the way that um, like Boston had a tough game uh, tonight, they lost against the Red Wings, but they've been playing eh recently. I think Bergeron's um, uh, out right now, right? It's kind of a bad thing to just kind of throw on you at the end of the show. But. Oh, is Bergeron out? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe one 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 then. If Bergeron's out, yeah, yeah, he's out with undisclosed injury. Ooh, did oh, that that's happen? tough. That's yeah. tough to say. Undisclosed injury means he could be back at any moment. Yeah, especially because that's a week, yeah. uh, so almost a week from I'm, now. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to go if if Bergeron is out. I'm going to go one one and one. If Bergeron's in, I'm going to go with the o two and one. I'm going to go with one one and one regardless, uh, just because of Bergeron. Even if Bergeron is back, it's also in, fun to say. Yeah, uh, one that, one and one. That I think we just kind of know where we are with him. So. All right. Um, any last thing before we close the book on this one? No, I got my weekly Adam Tate in, so I'm good. Got him, and then we also we didn't get any praise for your guy and from uh, the uh, for the ad, from the uh, Phantoms and either Giroux. 
We didn't, oh, we didn't, we didn't get any Alexander, Alexander Drew. Drew. Oh, yeah, we, no, we left no, it perfectly no. up, and like we talked about, guys being successful at the AHL level and not the NHL level, and oh, it, you I missed just, your opportunity. I so have, I don't know. I, sorry, I, we're not going to be able to do I, that this week. I, I have a delicate balance in my body between Giroux admiration levels and chili consumption levels. It's oddly how they were odd how they're related, but I'm so high in chili that I'm really really low in Alexander Giroux. Yeah, this is like the only one day. Next week it'll even out, or it'll, well, it won't even out. It'll, it'll switch back to normal. This is like one of the one days that you're I eat chili, so. Oh yeah, there's there's. I'm a great having bags of chili judge. It's the one year I eat chili. <laughs> this is um. Well, I'll, I I used to eat it a lot more. But uh, one one last note before we go. Uh, so we we had there was a fourth judge and she was apparently like a very oh, experienced God. food judge. Yeah, exactly. But she did say something very funny, and she mentioned like, yeah, this one chili had like cinnamon or something in it. I wrote it at like a three, because Ohio chili is not chili. It's meat sauce. Yeah, it, it, you don't serve it on spaghetti. It's not how it works. All right, guys, you can follow him on Twitter at 3DLink. You can follow John on Twitter at jgarcia36. You can follow myself at Dan D. Bradley. You can follow the the show at on the forecheck not at on the forecheck and on the forecheck um, What was that? Give me like a hand signal. Oh no, I went. Three, I don't know what the thirty six is, so I just made a three. Yeah, six well, what sign. is the thirty six? <laughs> Honestly, it was a number that I pulled out of a hat when I was tr- making AIM screen names in high school. No, middle school. And it just kind of stuck. Uh, you shouldn't be cool like, yeah, that was my number. I mean, that is my number on all of my NHL 16 games. I led the league in scoring several different times. Who hasn't? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My problem is that whenever I did, like, Eastside Hockey Manager, I made myself and I weighed, like, 155 pounds. So, yeah, I had really good nights and really bad nights. No in between. So, on that note, everyone have a good week, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.